Hello and welcome to At The 55, your home for OUA football. I'm Zachary Bader-Shamai. And I'm Eddie Meredith. And we are now six weeks done in the OUA regular schedule. The Panda game came and went. It was another classic. We this had, whole week was crazy. Oh my god, an almost miraculous upset out in Kingston this weekend. One happening in our own backyard with the York Waterloo game. Oh my goodness, and Laurier homecoming was a little bit disappointing if you are a Golden Hawk fan. Wacky, wacky games. So as always, we're going to recap all those games for you. In this order, we got the Toronto-Windsor game, moving over to Guelph-Laurier, into the Panda game. Then we have Western Queens, and we will finish off with Waterloo and York. And then I'm going to take you out to Can West because there was a really crazy game out there that we're going to talk about between Alberta and UBC. Spoiler alert, Alberta beat UBC. Oh, boy. So let's get into all of this. Turn on our plate. Start off Toronto-Windsor. So final score in this game, Windsor 26, Toronto 24. And as we mentioned in our week five or in our week six preview from last week, one of these two teams was finally going to pick up their win and is, of course, the Lancers. One thing of note with both these teams is that they were putting quarterbacks out that weren't starting for them in their last game. For Windsor, it was Sam Girard returning off of injury, which was really good to see because the passing attack for them is what's kind of, you know, despite not picking up any wins, has really impressed us in the early part of the year for Windsor, um, finishing 15-27, 203 yards in the air and a touchdown himself. But something new is their running game is really getting going. Yeah, a really nice day on the ground for them. Uh, we had Marvin Gaynor picking up 92 yards, and then uh, Marcus uh, Kentner with 74 of his own. And not just were they getting, yar- getting yards, but they were, they were going to the run game more than they seemingly have before, it looked like. And this offensive line is really coming together. They have Drew Desjardins back from injury at left guard, and he takes out Blake Collinson, who was a first-year kid. So now their offensive line is is substantially more veteran, and they're playing very well. Like they're coming off the ball, they're hitting people. Their offensive line coach Randy Beardy, former player there, he's doing a very nice job with them. It's definitely it's a nice unit, and having Dejarle back is huge. Uh, one kind of probably irrelevant note that I couldn't help but ignore in the game was that Dejarle is the only one of that that group, of course, aside from the center, who puts his hand down prior to the snap. Uh, I don't know if that's just a personal preference, if there's some kind of technique involved in there, but whatever. Just a, a silly aside I noted. Um, but, of, of course, like I said, there was two quarterbacks in this game starting who didn't start for these respective teams in their previous game. For UFT, it was Connor Ennis, who we saw came into come into the Carlton game when Secure went down. And as we kind of made mention of, late in that Carlton-UFT game, it was still close, you know, Carlton had a bit of a you know handle on it, but there was a chance for UFT to come back. So when Secure went down and didn't come back in the game, it wasn't a situation where, well, we'll just mail it in at this point and protect him. Obviously, he is dealing with some kind of an injury that kept him out of this one. Um, so we had Connor Ennis come in, and he had a pretty good day for himself. Uh, just checking it right here. 358 yards passing, two touchdowns, one interception, 22 of 41 completions, two attempts. So, I mean, well, it's, you know, not super efficient in terms of, you know, having just like a 50% completion rate. Not amazing. But 358 yards passing, that's a UFT has to play. They're often going to be behind, and they don't have any run game to speak of. As you can see on the ground from the stat sheet. They Bit have, of a mess. They have like sort of 50 yards, but it's a smattering. They have nobody with more than four carries, and the person who has four carries has three yards. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, com- compared to Windsor, who has a, you know, 
balance. A balanced attack. Sam Girard had 200 yards on the day, one touchdown. He was 15 of 27 passing. But you look at the run game. Gaynor had 16 attempts. He had 92 yards. That's good for a 5.8 average. Kentner, 11 attempts, 74 yards, good for a 6.7 average. Kobe Henkel, four attempts, 21 yards, 5.3 average. Like, an efficient run game. And that it bears out watching it. I mean, I, we've, we said before, Gaynor and Kentner are both very nice backs. We were wondering if they would get a chance to shine because the offensive line is – well, it was a work in progress well, they were when starting, they didn't have Desjardins. Well, they were starting uh, five 18-year-olds on that offensive line, I believe, four – Four or five, I forget the exact number, for a good portion of the season. Yeah, in the early goings, it was it was, it was was rough. But they mm. had, you know, a second-year left tackle. They had a first-year left guard, a first-year right guard. And then they had a little bit of veteran leadership at center in, in CJ Church, who's a, a third-year guy. And then the right tackle, I think, is a fifth-year guy. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's been a mishmash. This offensive line does look markedly better than it did mm. in the early goings of the season. So, and, and again, that... That was great. These running backs could shine. They did shine. Yeah, and it, but a bit of a slow start, though, for Windsor coming out the gate. And I don't know if it was just Girard kind of getting his, his game legs back underneath him because this ended up being a 21 nothing game for U of T, you know, going at close to the midway point in the second quarter, a lot of which was, I mean, they had a converted, they had a fake punt to keep, a, I think, their first drive going, which led to a touchdown. Uh, and, you know, Ennis, to his credit on the day, and this is probably where the majority of his yards were coming from, he was connecting with some of his receivers on some deep hitters. Uh, you know, Will Corby, the the big name that most people know for UFT in that receiving group, finished with 172 yards, a touchdown, and one long bomb of 88 yards. Nolan Lovegrove, uh, uh, he got a touchdown of his own, a long of, of 39. So it definitely seemed like in the in the early going, and as well at times later on, you know, Ennis wasn't afraid to sling the rock out there. Yeah, I mean, those were both first quarter big passing, you know, chunk plays that got them those those two touchdowns. And then what? There, there was a, a fumble recovery. Was that? Yeah. Oh, that one was weird because I actually missed this game live, so I ended up watching it on OUA TV because they they, they um, yeah. archive all the games, and <laughs> the game went from. The game went from fourteen nothing, Windsor's ball all of a, or UFT's ball. All of a sudden, UFT was kicking off and it was twenty one nothing. I guess they lost the film of that, or um, from what I gather, it was maybe a a, a, a fumbled punt recovered by U of T that was taken in for a touchdown. I I'm not too sure. Yeah, we strangely missed that, but U of T getting to an early lead in the mm-hmm. first uh, and well early in the second quarter was when that happened. I mean, this is not a situation that they're usually in, playing with a, a massive advantage. And being able to run the ball would have, you know, certainly helped, at least in the sort of the standard theory of football. If you can right. pound the ball when you're up, you're going to win. Uh, they're not being able to do that definitely had an effect. But for Win- on, Windsor's, on, on Windsor's part, though, massive story this game for them. It, you know, the offense was moving in the air, on the ground, but for a lot of the game, they weren't converting into touchdowns. The man who undoubtedly deserves a game ball for this one and kept the minute is place kicker Clark Green. Six for six on the day, contributing to 20 points. I mean, and, and a couple of these were long. I think as long as showing here, 45-yarder um, and a couple clutch ones down near the end of the game, uh, towards the end of the game too. Uh, massive game. Clark Green, green like money, right? Oh, American yeah. money or the 20. Yeah, 
21 nothing. Uh, it was the score uh, early in the second quarter. And then field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal. All unanswered. And then finally Windsor gets a touchdown from Caden Walls. Uh, he has a, a 30-yard reception uh, from, from Sam Girard. Another field goal. <laughs> Uh, and, and then you, sorry, that being for Windsor, and then U of T gets another field or gets a field goal because they've, you know, been stuck at 21 for so long, and then another field goal for uh, for Windsor makes it 25-24 uh, in their favor, and then it was just a rouge that got them that extra point, but obviously a razor razor thin margin. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we kind of I kind of mentioned how for Gerard starting off the game for Windsor a little bit slow, and one person in particular on the U of T's defense, who definitely helped in making his day a bit uncomfortable. is a guy we've been talking quite a bit about, Malcolm Campbell, um, who put together a really nice day for himself. Two sacks, an additional tackle for a loss, 12 and a half tackles on the day in total. And I know one of those sacks in particular got past the tackle, took on the running back, and then took Gerard to the ground. This guy, like, week after week, he's just impressed. I-, I know you feel the same way. He's impressing me more and more every week. We see he-, he jumped out on film well, even when he had no stats. And now that he's putting up these massive stats, oh boy. Yeah. Like, this is a guy who we have to discuss in the OUA All-Star conversation. And that's going to be a very tricky conversation there on are- defensive line because there are some superstars. I mean, Kenny Onyeka, Robbie Smith, obviously guys that are top of mind. Mm-hmm. Andrew Thurston. A Western guy to me is a, another guy who you have to be talking about. There are a ton of guys. And, I mean, I've been very impressed with Malcolm Thompson. Not only him, though. Campbell. Sorry, yeah. Malcolm Campbell. Yeah, Malcolm Thompson at Laurier, also very impressive, <laughs> the DB. Malcolm Campbell, very, very impressive player. I also think Makai Henry needs to be in that conversation. Again, a lot of very good tackles in this conference. Makai Henry is a problem. And what they're doing at U of T defensively, it's a lot of fun to watch. If you were watching just based on scheme, Laurier's offense. Why do I keep doing this with Laurier? <laughs> Windsor's offense versus U of T's defense. That's a fun watch. Yeah. Windsor's doing some really cool stuff with formations, moving people all over the place, trying to figure out who's in coverage where. And U of T is doing cool stuff defensively too. They had uh, a three-man front where they have uh, Gladman and Campbell on the ends, uh, Makai Henry and Nose, and then they have sort of – Two linebackers, number two, uh, that's Foyle, and number 10, uh, Danar, no, that's sorry, that's Windsor. Um, number 10 is, is Daniel Solari, sort of a Mike and Will kind of linebacker who, who play in the, you know, they play mm, five yards depth, not even, maybe four yards, uh, flanking Makai Henry. They're sort of playing those interior gaps, and then they'll play a monster linebacker with uh, with with Hallett, Nick Hallett, the brother of Noah Hallett at uh, McMaster. Mm. And, I, I, you know, it's a very interesting defense. They'll do a lot of stunts out of it. They'll be twisting all over the place, bringing cool blitzes. And I really do enjoy watching U of T's defense. It, no, it, they, it's a very fun defense to watch. And they were going up against a, an offense that, you know, we can name off some players, some individual players that – make it uh, a fairly formidable foe, but also schematically, I know you're pretty high on some of the things that you're seeing them do on film using their motion and stuff. Yeah, they, they're bringing tons of guys across the formation, sort of trying to manipulate whether or not, or, or well, find out and then exploit the way that, mm. the way the U of T is adjusting to motion. So are they bringing, are they monstering the Sam with an H or 
uh, a W or just someone in the backfield? Are they Pumping having the fam, Sam follow that player around? Right. Are they rotating bringing a halfback over, over or yeah. are they rotating over? And they were typically bringing guys over. So that means if you want to bring sort of a receiver all the way across the formation in pre-snap motion and then bring him back, you can have that half have to run through a whole bunch of traffic and you can get sort of a natural pick there. We saw that a lot. They were just doing very cool stuff. And, and it's a lot of fun to watch. It was a really fun game to watch because, you know, in, in the grand scheme of this OUA, of the OUA this year, they're at the bottom of the league. But they were matched up very well with each other. You know, it, it wasn't like watching two poor teams and it's just mistake after mistake. They were going at each other. It, it, it was a great game. Um, I would have been happy. It would have been nice to see U of T pick up the win. It was nice to see Windsor get their win. Um, but, yeah, it was a really enjoyable game. Absolutely. Uh, moving forward, the schedule isn't all that uh, great for both of these teams. A, because it's a short week, and we, we recognize that we are a bit late on the recording here this week because um, they will be playing both this Thursday, um, Toronto back at home taking on the red-hot Ottawa GGs and Windsor traveling to Western uh, against, well, that's never an easy matchup, let alone when Western has a bit of a scare as they did last week. but Yeah, Western, uh, they were sleepwalking, or, well, a combination of that and Queens playing well. They will not be asleep for this game. It'll be a raucous atmosphere. Yeah. It is the blackout game for Western, so that's not an instruction to the students. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's wear black, don't drink to excess. But, no, it, it should be a lot of fun. Um, it's always fun watching these teams, so. Yeah, so definitely Windsor Lancers. Maybe not as much this week. Tie your shoes on tight. Pull your yeah. pants up high and get ready for a, a tough game. <laughs> and, you know, I'll be interested to see if they can do that same stuff offensively against the Western defense. I mean, it's obviously difficult because the individual matchups will be even harder. U of T is no joke, but Western is better. But if they can do those same things to manipulate the Western D, we'll see how the Western D responds. And that'll be instructive to other teams Good point. looking to game yeah. plan against Western. You know, are they going to halfback over? Yeah. Sam Monster? How are they going to play the coverages? May there, Win there are things there are things to watch and there are questions to be answered. May Windsor be the guinea pig for the rest of the OUA on figuring out this puzzle, which has been how to take down the Purple Ponies. But moving from a game that had zero playoff implications on the line to one with massive playoff implications on the line, Guelph taking on Laurier for the Golden Hawks homecoming. So final score in this one, the Griffins 27, Laurier 24, which we kind of talked about playoff implications following week five and, and played around with ideas of what would happen given certain results in this week. And while there was still a lot of factors that we might not have been able to take into account, I'm still fairly certain that had Guelph dropped this game, which was looking very likely for most of it, they would have got bounced from the playoffs. Yeah, that seems almost completely certain. And now it sets up a very precarious position for Laurier, who has three losses and they have... Still, they have to play Western, so... And Carlton, too. And, and Carlton yeah. in Ottawa. So that, that's a very dangerous position to be in. Yeah. Um, so, starting with the quarterback play, as we normally do, Tristan Arndt, 18 for 30, 163 through the air. Wait for it. And six picks. Not a pick six. Well, actually, two pick six, but six picks in their own right, two which were returned for six. This is like a Dr. Seuss tongue twister if I've ever heard one. On the other side of the ball, didn't get much better aside from fewer picks. You had Theo going 16 of 31, 
139 yards, no touchdowns, and one pick. And while six picks obviously screams out a bad day for a quarterback, I don't know how many of those you can just completely put on him. I don't know if you can completely put any of them yeah, on him. That, I, like, how many of them were tipped at the line or by his receivers? I think, oh. I think at least five. Yeah, oh, I mean, the, the first one, which was the first of the pick sixes, was batted up and returned by, I think it was Corfield who got a hand on Corfield it. Corfield had the bat, and then Job Reinhardt had the return. Yeah, where yeah. he also put on a nice stiff arm on Art as he was... Uh, Heisman moment. Oh, buddy. Um, which is, it's actually also funny to look back uh, for week two for Guelph when they played York, when Job had a pick six coming out of the second half. He's not a guy you would associate having two pick sixes on the year, but good on him nonetheless. Um, but yeah, like six picks on a day, like ugly. It's crazy. And it's, and, and you would never expect me to say this, but I don't think he had that bad a game. I mean, there's a reason they didn't pull him. And it's not just because Carousello has shown that he's not quite ready for the spotlight yet, but Tristan's a good quarterback. These picks were largely not his fault. Okay, if you if you consider a quarterback having his ball tipped by a defensive lineman to be somewhat his fault, then you can make that case. To the same extent that maybe one of the balls that the receiver the receivers tipped, maybe it wasn't perfectly leading them forward or whatever. But, but even still, very catchable balls on yeah. the ones that were tipped up by receivers. And... Defensive linemen in this conference aren't usually putting their hands up super early, so this is just sort of a new issue. There were so many batted passes by them, and there were batted passes by Laurier too when they were on defense. Mm-hmm. Those didn't result in interceptions. Kind of the luck of the draw sometimes. Yeah, and so you make your own luck, right? Guelph made their own luck, but they made an unsustainable amount of luck. Like you're never going to make this much luck again. This was a a banner a banner <laughs> game for luck. Yeah. And uh, they, they can't rely on that kind of luck moving forward. But they did play a good game defensively for the most part. Well, definitely. and I mean, and obviously six picks. <laughs> that helps. Uh, offensively speaking for Laurier, story of the game, aside from those six picks, was Lavondre Gordon, as it very often is, had 21 attempts on the ground for 139 yards, two touchdowns. All that averages out to a 6.6 average per carry. And, you know, he was really having his success getting to the edge and breaking some big carries that way. And that's standard for him, right? They yeah. usually, Laurier does a good job of scheming up to get him on the edge. They did a nice job of that. But they also did a very nice job of running outside zone with their offensive line. I thought they did, a, like, a fantastic job. They got him into space, not just with scheme, but with just pure blocking. And they did that quite a few times. I was very impressed with, with their whole offensive line and Villamizar, their main fullback. So I, Laurier's run game looked looked good. And again, this is a well front that is not an easy front to run against. No, definitely not. You know, and, and it's it definitely comes down to defensive scheme, how you want to play teams when they bring in extra bodies, whether it's tight ends or extra offensive line, whether you want to position your, your defensive end in the gap between the tackle and that tight end or have them hold on the outside. But there was a couple plays which, you know, in case this hasn't been abundantly clear, as a Guelph homer, was frustrating where whomever it was playing that DN position was lined up in that inside gap, which gives, obviously, if you happen to be running that way, an easier down block angle for that last man on line of scrimmage to give you that edge. I understand there's probably a tactical advantage in how you do it, and then you're allocating that gap to the responsibility of a linebacker or maybe a half to fill. Um, but he definitely 
but going back to Gordon, a great a great day on the ground and hitting them on the edge. And what was interesting for me is is when I kind of got a feel of this Guelph defense, they don't necessarily have a lot of just like a lot of size. I mean, Corfield is a big boy to handle on the inside. But aside from that, even their linebackers are more sort of athletic, can move sideline to sideline. You look at a guy like Luke Coral. He's been making a ton of noise, both um, being able to help in the run game and being able to, um, you know, co- do a help out coverage in coverage. We mentioned Job's name, but they were really locking down on them running to the inside. So as you mentioned, you know, give Gordon and this Laurier offensive uh, run game the brain trust, the credit for how they schemed them, being able to gash them on the outside. But I thought Guelph, at the very least, while they were getting hit on the outside. Did, was a much more stout on the inside. Well, and I mean, I, it's sort of the common complaint I have with Laurier is they don't run particularly well on the inside. But the, the, the counterpoint is, so they don't run as much on the inside. They, they run effectively on the outside, so they do that. And as soon as someone can show me that they can stop that consistently with scheme and with just individual matchup play. Right. Why would you stop? Why, why would you? Exactly. So, you know, don't, um, don't run away from from your, your strong suit if, if you don't have to. And <laughs> funnily enough, their strong suit is running away from the inside, going outside. Uh, no, that's, I, that's fair. Um, but so we talk about – I'm just kind of going through my notes. You know, the, the second pick for Arndt, we mentioned the first one was the pick six for Job. The second one was Arndt was under pressure, was able to escape, gets the ball away, then it gets tipped, then it falls into the hands of Elijah Walker – who I think I believe then ended up fumbling. Who then and fumbles Laurier it. Recovered. Laurier recovers. So kind of a, a zero sum game, or they might have actually gained some yards. I forget. Yeah. Ultimately, but in in the grand a wash. It's a wash. It's 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 a wash. And that was a pick. That one was may, maybe more on art. But again, he was scrambling. He was running around mm. for his life. Great job by Guelph. I think Tavius Robinson had pressure on that, and that's a kid who, I mean, if, even if it wasn't him who had pressure on this play, that's a kid we have to watch. Yeah. Because he is tall and athletic as heck. So. That's going to be a problem for this this league for quite a while for opposing offenses. And if you don't, and, and you know, the one thing on top of all that you should know about Tavius, if you didn't, is that he is a rookie for Guelph, first year kid, yeah, yeah, and a true freshman. So uh, you know, as as you mentioned just there, a guy to be on alert on for the years to come. Um, yeah, he'll certainly be on the all rookie team, and and we'll we'll I think we'll touch on that maybe a little later in this episode, or maybe we'll we'll wait until later in the season, but. Yeah. Um, very much a an impact player, and something Guelph was doing that I found quite odd is they weren't starting Carter Wilson and Alain Simon Kinda. Mm. They were coming in early, going on second down, second and long on obvious pass rush situations. They would bring in Carter and Simon Kinda. They would keep Corfield on the field, and um, they would have Kaplansky on the field as well. But it was Kaplansky, Don Sawyer, Greg Corfield, and Tavius Robinson were there starting unit on defense. I found that quite odd. I mean, because Elian Simon Kinda, maybe he's a little inconsistent, but in terms of just pure talent, like, mm-hmm. he's incredible. So I don't know why you would take him off the field. Well, also the move with having putting Kaplansky at end, we've seen him normally take uh, have, have that um, three-tech responsibility where they're now using uh, Sawyer more on the inside, a bigger-bodied guy. Yeah, Kaplansky's a tweener, right? He's sort of, yeah. he's sort of, he's a three-tech in this league. Uh, but he's but he's a smaller one, so he can sort of play. And he's kind of in a way, he's a little bit like uh, Frederick Robitaille on Carlton. Okay, I like that. A, uh, more junior, not as not as explosive yet, but he's he's bigger than your average end. He's smaller than your average D tackle. I'm for, I'm forgetting the name, but the sort of 
archetype of that type of player, one of your contemporaries at Western, who I think's in the CFL now, one of your ends. Um, if if you were to go through some of the names, it'd probably ring a bell Thinking for of me. Dylan Ainsworth. No, not Ainsworth. Of uh, Ricky Osikusi. No, no, more of a like more of a stouter guy. At, you had it at, at the end. Oh, uh, we had we had um, Northfield at the end at one point. North, that's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, like, he's he not, was he's not in the CFL. Uh, but yeah, he, see, that's a little different because he was more of like a true D tackle who. Oh yeah. We just wanted to have on the field because we knew we could shut down sort of the the interior run on one side with him. Mm. Uh, he was a, he transferred in from uh, Simon Frazier to Western a few years back. I think his. I think it was 2014 we had him on, on the team. That's the year I'm thinking of. That's yes, the year. I'm obviously mixing him up with someone else in terms of the CFL, but just mm, when we talk yeah. about so that bigger-bodied, non-traditional type of D-end yeah. uh, that we can talk about, Kaplansky, and you can mention Yeah, but, but even guys. still, like, Northfield was closer to 300 pounds and shorter. So Kaplans- Kaplansky is more of a um, more more of a true tweener. Northfield was more of a D-tackle D- playing the end. Oh, okay. Um, but, but, I mean, either way, I mean, uh, so – Kaplansky, Kaplansky is now seems to be the starter at defensive end. Again, another first year, but a CJEP guy. So whether you want to consider him for all rookie teams is, I guess you it's, can. It's kind of the Ben Simmons in the NBA argument with rookie of the year. He was, he was, he was in the league, was he a true rookie? But anyways, yeah. we'll leave that for the powers. To, yeah, I mean, it's, to his, it's his first year in this league. So, mm-hmm. uh, and Brendan Murphy, another outstanding, you know, first year CJEP guy for them. He's playing Lights he is out. a hard hitter too. Oh my goodness, he doesn't look that big, and I don't think he's that big a guy. But like, he comes downhill hard on some dudes. Um, I think there was one point late in the game where he lit up KGJ on a would-be completion. Um, but you mentioned so with complaints going to the end, it kind of makes that rotation they have at defensive end even more complicated because you mentioned Robinson's name, uh, Carter Wilson's name, Simon Kinda. You know, even a veteran guy like Charlie Taggart who is getting some reps towards the end of the game. Um, so obviously that puts a lot of pressure on, on, you know, coach Grandy and coach Clough, the defensive line coach to be able to figure out the best situations to have success with not only a a variety of bodies, but a variety of body types that, you know, certain guys are obviously more attuned to uh, different situations, but, but getting back to this, this game, um, the second pick fumble recovery by Laurie led to their first touchdown by Gordon on their next possession though. We have another situation where ball gets tipped up. I believe it was Corfield this time batting yeah, the ball. Yeah, Big up. Greg. Big Greg, Big Red. Um, and the the North Dakota State transfer Carter Wilson coming down with it this yeah, time. Yeah, and he's getting blocked while he makes this pick. So very yeah. impressive. I mean, he's 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 fully being blocked up and I guess it looks like it's kind of a one-hander or maybe he disengages the one the other hand later on, but I mean, very impressive pick by him. There must and have been like a memo set out to OUA teams this week of like if you're a defensive lineman, if you're not getting pushed, if you're not getting through in some way, just put those hands up. They all listen to DJ Khaled. Get those <laughs> hands up. <laughs> um, sticking with defensive line play, though, but moving over to Laurier, um, I believe Robbie Smith making his return. He was missing. And Alfred Green. Aye, very you know, true, true. Um, and Smith, obviously, a handful. And making his presence known. And in particular, you know, it's never a sh- – it's never a shot to say someone got beat by Robbie Smith. But one of the tackles for Guelph who, you know, had his hands full with him is uh, I, I, will, I will collectively say our boy, Eric Starcell, even though I don't know if you've ever. No, but him. I like him a lot as a player. So I, I, watch, I watch him as much as I can. He hasn't looked the same since he suffered, I think, some kind of leg injury against Ottawa mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago. And him at 80% is still better than a lot of tackles at 100. But 
I mean, if you watch him early in the season, this guy is dominant. He's well, killing people. Now he's looking a little ginger. Well, they were in they were in Laval for the preseason game, and despite how poorly that game went as a whole for their offense and their team, you know, he, that's a that's probably one of the hardest matchups you can get across the country going up against um, Matthew Betts. If you're not familiar, yeah. he is he is far and away the best defensive player in the country, in my opinion or at least defensive linemen, for sure. There are some really great defensive players. But this is a guy who has, like, a legitimate shot at the NFL. He is crazy good. But to, you know, illuminate the point in that preseason game, Starcella kind of locked him down in the pass rush. Which is insane. It, absolutely. And, Nobody does. And you're starting to see, what, what, you know, maybe it's it, probably a tribute to that lower body injury that hasn't kept him out for extended periods, but... If it slows you down a step here and there, he's still strong as an ox, but obviously being able to move well as a tackle is paramount. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, especially given that it, you know, it doesn't seem like Jalen Guthrie's returning to this team. Uh, you know, I I don't know what the official word is, but I haven't, you know, from, from what I'd heard preseason about him, he should have been back by now. I haven't been seeing him on the sidelines. I don't know what's going on, but I just it doesn't it doesn't seem good. Whatever's happening. Well, we hope we hope it's not. Um... I don't know what to hope it is or isn't. I hope it's not a recurrent of injury because uh, that would be a problem for him moving mm-hmm. forward. I hope I just, you know, hope hope the best for him because he's a great talent, very fun to watch. But the guy who has replaced him, not in a sort of direct one-for-one one fashion, but is playing left tackle, Andy McFalls, he deserves a lot of attention. He is playing at an elite level. He's a second-year guy. Wow. Like, he moves very well, very violent hands. He's playing at the top of his game. And, it's, you know, it's a very good offensive line. An offensive line that they had some struggles because this, this is a tough Laurier front. Like, this isn't – Trayvon James is probably the best D-tackle in the conference. He's certainly one of the craftiest. I mean, he's not super fast, but he's heavy and he's quick enough and he knows how to use it. And then you have Samuel Achenpong beside him. And, like, this is guy – he looks like a kind of a classic D-end almost. He's like 6'5", very long, quick – and a dangerous pass rusher. Mm. So those two inside on passing downs, they're a nightmare. They're a nightmare on every down. But Achenpong a little lighter, you know, maybe a little bit of a liability if he's getting doubled. Trayvon James is never a liability. But, you know, this defensive line, fully healthy, is dangerous. And it is the strength of their team. Their DBs are good too. But this defensive line is, is holding it together for this Laurier defense. So, you know, you look at the score and you see 27 points allowed. Laurier's defense played a great game. The fact that they were given, well, Bad, four, terrible field position. Four, 14 points were allowed by the Laurier offense. Yeah. The Guelph defense produced 14 of those points and bad field position frequently. Yeah. So, I mean, both both were problems. Both these defenses really did play well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, you would have you would have liked to see Guelph maybe shut down the run a little bit more. But when he produced six picks on a day and, you know, seven of Laurier's points come off of just a beautiful Curly Giddens punt oh, return. Oh, boy. Yeah, that he was takes something. it. He takes it from one side's numbers, takes it all the way to the other side of the field, running horizontally for a bit before he gets vertical and and or north and south as we like to say. Yeah, and uh, I think it was eighty yards total on that one, something like that. Yeah, uh, I mean he must have run one hundred and fifty. Yeah, but yeah, no, it was it was a gorgeous punt return. I almost actually had the impression on that one, uh, especially because he was kicking into the wind, that it kind of felt like one of those examples of not to take anything away from what Curly did but where Gabe kind of outkicked his coverage because when he caught that ball, it looked like there was at least 10 yards between him and the next closest Guelph cover man. 
And that's a lot of space to give someone who's that dangerous as is. When you run east-west as much as he did, and, and I agree with you, he may have outkicked his coverage, but... When you run east west that much, the coverage should be able to adjust. You, that's fair. You have to you have to, you know, circle back to good blocking by Laurier and great running by Curly Gibbons. Absolutely. Um Curly had a quieter day though. I mean, quiet for his standards. Ten catches for ninety yards. Mm-hmm. That is sort of what I think of as excellent success against Curly Gibbons. I mean that this game and, and the uh the Mac game from two weeks ago, that would be weak games for that would be the worst games he's played yeah. I, th- I can ever remember in terms of statistical production. Sure. But obviously still having a massive impact on this game. He's still having a big impact on this game with that punt return. And again, 10 catches, 90 yards. As long as it was 20 yards. Mm-hmm. That means Guelph successfully dealt with him. One, one last thing I, wa- I want to bring up is just looking at Guelph's, uh, Guelph's offense a little bit more. In terms of the run game, it looks like they've settled in with Juwan Jeffries as their go-to because outside of Theo, on a couple scrambles and a couple designed runs, he's the only guy getting carries to them. He got the only touches. Yeah, and a nice day, 13 attempts, 81 yards, one touchdown, and he had a couple uh, runs where he, he, he broke uh, for some significant yardage. Theo himself, eight attempts, 62 yards. And as I mentioned, they are you know now designing more plays for him in the run game. Um, he still needs to work on following his blocks. He's obviously very athletic, but there I, were some plays... I can see you agree with this point. I had that on my yeah. I had that on my notes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not stealing your notes. I promise. No, no, no. Uh, he, you know, he is an athletic guy, and this is a very good offensive line. He has to be just a little more patient, letting stuff set up. Because there yeah. were times where we bounced stuff outside, where if he had just stuttered for a split second, the Red Sea would have parted, and he would have had a nice, you know, 20 yard gain, not necessarily up the gut, but sort of behind his blocks, as opposed to like five or six yards. Yeah scrambling, just outrunning someone for a few. And it's one of those infuriating plays as a lineman where, you know, if you're kicking out that D-end and you're thinking, yeah, I got my my hat in the right placement, I got a good pop on him, and all of a sudden, you know, why is my QB trying to bounce it? Like, there should be a hole behind me that like to turn up in. Um, so, yeah, a bit of p- added patience and a bit of trusting that, you know, get get in there, get dirty. If, if you want to run with your quarterback, if you're making that decision, you are making the statement that, you're pro- you might get you you might take a hit you know um, yeah and, and and you know Theo's highest and best use is not just being a pure pocket passer it's not scrambling occasionally it is making full use of his legs and you know be that with RPOs getting to the edge for himself and and holding defensive linemen on the edge so that Juwan Jeffrey has cutback lanes you know schematically based on being able to hold that defensive end um, in the mesh. Then perfect, but I mean, if you can't if you can't run behind your blocks effectively, that that just takes just a little bit out. And again, like it's not like you had a super inefficient day on the ground, eight of sixty two or eight attempts for sixty two yards. Mm-hmm. That's good for a seven point eight average. Ah, ah, it's good for a seven point eight average. Yeah, but there could have been more, and it would have been it would have been pretty easy. And looking back on film, he's gonna wish he had just been a little more patient. So hopefully, you can figure that out. Well, they'll have a whole extra week to figure it out because Guelph now has their bye week, which, um, you know, probably coming at a nice time where they can kind of collect themselves a little bit because despite the win, that was obviously precarious to say the least uh, when it comes to uh, wins that you can get, but important nonetheless because it keeps them in the playoff playoff picture. For Laurier, now three losses in a row, and they're taking their show on the road to Ottawa. 
against the Carlton team that's got to be pretty hungry themselves coming off that Panda loss. So This is so crazy. Oh, my gosh. I mean, they could go three and five. I, I think they're a favorite against Carlton still, but this is disconcerting because it's not even just that they've had – like, this is a bad loss, and you would think in a vacuum, if you didn't know about what else had happened, you'd think, well, they'll probably respond well to the loss. They haven't been responding well to losses. They've been playing worse after each successive loss, and and that's that's really concerning. So this is gut check time for them. If they want to make the playoffs, they they have to get to five and three because Guelph looks to be quite possibly they're going to finish four and four, and they'll have the tiebreak. Yeah, the tiebreaks in this league are just going to be impossible. To, they're not impossible. There's going to gonna be a really weird situation where you have. At the end of the day, you might have a situation where Guelph, Laurier, and Queens are all in the same ballpark, where Laurie, Laurier has, uh, or Guelph has the advantage over Laurier. Laurier over Queens. Laurier over Queens, Queens over Guelph, and then I guess it comes Waterloo out. Waterloo over Laurier. The, that Waterloo-Guelph game in a couple weeks is going to be really interesting. But yeah, Oh, yeah. That'll be that'll be a win-and-you're-in kind of situation. Yeah. Lose and I think it's last week of the season, too. So, anyways, not to get too far ahead of ourselves. Like I said, Guelph on the bye, Laurier traveling to Ottawa to face Carlton. Um, is that a Friday game? That is, yeah, that's that's happening this Friday. It's a one o'clock start, so yeah, the start times are weird. There was an eleven a.m. start. McMaster yeah. plays at eleven a.m. I guess they want to get that Thanksgiving holiday in all the same. All right, gobble but, uh, gobble. But you know, speaking of those Ravens, they also played this last weekend. They did, yeah, in a game known as the Panda, and uh, you might have heard of it. If it, you're listening to this podcast, you've probably heard of this game. If you haven't. It's a celebration of Canadian university football. It's massive. Over 20,000 there. I think it was around 24,000. Yeah, something like that. And a raucous atmosphere. And it's just a big party, right? And I, I got to just give huge credit to the OUA for the coverage of it. You know, it, it obviously helped that it was a great game. And we'll obviously get into all those details. Um, but, you know, the, the game itself, aside from that, the coverage, the commentating, the different camera angles, the replays, it was so enjoyable to watch. Um, well, I think CHCH produced the coverage. Oh, right. It was yeah. also it was on it was both on OUATV.com or OUA.tv, whatever that that site is, and then it was also it was on TV. It was broadcast on TV. Oh, right on, right on. Um, and and a quick little quick little note here. I think I mentioned this story to you. I guess this is I I'll, I'll word this as a buy or sell on, on this. I, uh, one of my good friends, Nils, I hope you're listening, Nils. I hope you're tuning into the podcast. He did his undergrad at Carleton, spent four years there, took a couple years off, did his MCATs, was trying to get into medical school, and finally this year is now at the University of Ottawa in his first year at their medical program. Ooh. And he attended the Panda as he had in years past, but in those prior years, he was, of course, cheering on the Carleton side. But he was sitting with the Ottawa fans this year, and I get that he goes to that school now. But he still has four years under his belt as a Raven, so I don't know about this move on his part. How was he dressed? I I believe in that garnet and gray. Oh, a chameleon. Exactly, right? I think the only thing you can do is cut up a Carlton and Ottawa sweatshirt or something and stitch them together. Got so it you half can, and half? You can show them that you're half and half. But then where do you sit that game? Right on the dividing line between the two fans. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that just like the middle of the field? That's right. Anyways, that that's just a little side I threw into it. Let's get into this one. Final score in this one, the Ottawa GGs 38, Carlton Ravens 27. Ottawa taking the Panda home for the first time since I think 2011. Or no, pardon me, 2014 was it? Or it's 
It feels like it's been a while since the last time the Gigi's took this one. It's been a while. I thought Carlton was perfect since re-entering the league. Was I thought? I think the first year back. I think the. Oh. He, Hmm. Hmm. Unclear. Unclear. Regardless, well, what really surprised me, and I, I won't throw out the exact number because I, I don't remember it offhand, but in the all-time record between these two teams in this game, Ottawa, from what I was hearing on the broadcast, has a pretty steep advantage over over Carlton. But, you know, that aside, this game, uh, at least through three and a half quarters, was just a tremendous back-and-forth game, and obviously the coverage of it kind of aided in the entertainment value but you really had an, a tremendous game by Panda Game rookie Sawyer Butner, or is it Bittner? Bittner? We don't know. We're really unclear on this one now. But he finished 16 for 28, 243 yards, five TDs, and his first pick as a starter. But that's kind of overshadowed greatly by those five touchdowns, and he spread the ball around very nicely. And the game plan seemed to be <laughs> that's a good one. Heave it to Beaver. Ow! That that is primo stuff. They 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 mentioned leave it to Beaver on the uh, on the broadcast, and I was like, oh, okay. oh that was it's kind of obvious. But Eddie was up for hours coming up with that. Heave it to Beaver. <laughs> yeah, it's just a moment of brilliance. And Carlton, you could say they were in for a rude awakening. Ow! Really, really bad stuff. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, Michael Ruda had four picks on the day, two hundred forty-eight yards passing. He was nineteen of thirty-four. One touchdown to those four picks. But, you know, how much of those were his fault? Like, these these weren't batted passes. You know, this this was – there are ball hawks on Ottawa. They're Luke, definitely, Luke yeah. Reese and uh, Jamie Harry both had nice days. Uh, Luke Reese, um, he, he, he should have had two on the day. He very nearly had two. He broke really nicely on one over the oh, middle. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that and one. And then his, his pick was uh, – uh, you know, a a pretty ball hawkish play. He was you know deep center field, broke hard on a line to get to the uh, I guess it was a go route on sort of the far sideline. Uh, good coverage by whoever was on the receiver in coverage, but but Luke got underneath it. Very nicely played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jamie Harry had two, one in the end zone, uh, which kind of sealed the deal towards the end of the game. Kind of put the na- the final nail in the coffin for them. Yeah, yeah, and and then Rashad Spooner had one too. That's a linebacker. He's he's a pretty quick linebacker actually. He's fun to watch. That one I think was actually off a tip ball. Okay, though. that one was off a tip ball. Yeah, I, rem- <laughs> I, I remembered one being tipped. What the hell's going on in the OUA this uh, week? A lot of tips. A lot of tips. <laughs> More yeah. tips than than a cocktail waitress. There you go. There you are. So, and you know, I thought the Ottawa defense overall played pretty well. I mean, this is a front that we've we've spoken about. You know, they're kind of. Their improvement over the early goings of the season was was notable, and you know guys coming back from injury, Rashawn Davis being one of those guys, um, a defensive lineman, and then you know just the improved play of, of everyone else there. Who you know, Cody uh, Brennick, who we we know about, he's he's been there um, for several years now. You know, I thought he played pretty well. Our guy Tremaine Steven, you know, yes, locking sir. it down MC the middle. Does. So. Um, but, but not, but not to say that they they locked down the Carlton running game. They no. just they slowed it down. Uh, Nathan Carter still had a pretty decent day: nineteen attempts, one hundred and twenty six yards, two touchdowns. So you know, I don't I don't want to paint the picture that Carlton was locked out on the no, run. No, no, you know they they certainly weren't. And for, and for Carter, uh, just to touch on that, 
it seemed like a lot of his production, and I believe both touchdowns came in the second half, and even towards when they were already getting, when that hole they were in was getting a little deeper. When normally in those situations, you probably see teams turn to the passing game a little bit more because it's a easier way to get chunk yardage. Um, but they were sticking with their running game, and and it proved dividends for them. And going back to both talking about Ottawa's defense and Aruda, you know they we always talk about their secondary and their secondary in this game as is as good an example as any game they've played all year and how dominant they are. But yeah, that def- defensive line, their linebackers were getting after Aruda, and to his credit, there were times where Aruda wasn't necessarily making plays out of this, but for a fairly big quarterback, like he was escaping pressure. Like I, I think I gave the title of OUA Big Ben to uh, to um, to Jackson White at, for Mac. Aruda, well, like, a, a nearer analog for Aruda might be sort of a Russell Wilson type because Aruda is a shorter guy. He's not, yeah. but he's he's not he's he's not sort of a skinny build. Not calling him fat by any no, means, no, obviously, no. but just he's he's like he's stocky. He's got a thick build. Like he's a thick kid, so that he can run also mm-hmm. and elude pressure makes him difficult to get on the ground in sort of the mold of Big Ben, but in just a different yeah. way. I'm just trying to make this OUA Big Ben thing stick one way or the other, but ho- hopefully it's not a curse now that uh, Jackson White's season went a little downhill after since the start. Hopefully that doesn't happen to Aruda. Um, but, you know, for, for Carlton, while Aruda only had one uh, passing touchdown, as a team they had two, as in their opening opening play of the game. And they started with a bang. Oh, my goodness. Quinton Soros. Very nice. I didn't know he could throw. <laughs> he can throw. I, he can catch. It's kind of that. Uh, it, it's that uh, Friday Night Lights moment with uh, Boot Miles' uncle in the stands when they show him do the, the you know running back pass and they're like, and he can throw, you know, or and he can pass. But uh, nice ball to um, was it not a Loki? It was um, Dominic Walker. Dominic Walker who hauled that one in like seventy-seven yards or something like that. Yeah, that um, was um, that was that was. His big, big chunk play, he finished with 127 and just that touchdown on the day. So most of it coming on that one play. But they got him involved and, and Quinton Soares involved as a receiver as well. Mm. Five catches, 77 yards, and a touchdown. He's a nice player. I mean, this is a nice receiving group. We've, we've spoken about it before. Yeah. We'll talk about it again. Phil Loki, you know, probably if you're going to pick one guy as the headliner, it's him. But again, it's not sort of a receiving group where you have a clear-cut Number one guy, Just a ton of depth. Like even Manchelenko is a, a very nice guy out there. Bit of a quiet day for him, but I think he he helps. He's one of the he's their one of their top returners, so he obviously helps them out in multiple ways. Um, but now moving back over to Ottawa's side and looking at the run game for them, uh, Dos No Day. I I think we can no longer say much like with this Ottawa team as a whole, no longer being a an under or uh, an underdog or a dark horse. You know they're very much on the OUA radar, and I think a big part of that has to be the play of, of Dawson O'Day. Absolutely, man. he's a fun watch. Ooh. This is a good running back, man. He just knows how to play ball. I mean, both of these guys are the OUA is deep with the running backs. It's deep in a lot of positions, sadly, so it makes it difficult to to say sure. definitively who the best guys are. But Dawson O'Day played a great game. I mean, there was a reason Bryce Vieira didn't get any touches in the run game. Well, I think Vieira got hurt in the first half, I think. Too. But he, yeah, but before before he sure, was yeah, before yeah. he was hurt, you know, he had a reception, but he didn't have any any touches on the ground. So, um Sawyer Butner was handing the ball off to Dawson O'Day quite a lot. And and the run game wasn't just it wasn't just that it produced yards, it, that it was it's that it was effective. It mm-hmm. got them first downs. Yeah. It 
chewed up a lot of clock towards the end of the game when they needed to, when, you know, Carlton also, they need to be able to run the ball to be effective, mm-hmm. but when you're down several scores, running the ball is not your best bet for making it back into a game, but it is your best bet when you're ahead a few scores. So Dawson O'Day, very effective all game long, you know, just very workmanlike between the tackles. And it's an offensive line that, you know, they have, I, I like their tackles a lot. I like Rollins, their right tackle. He's, I think he's a fourth or fifth year guy. I think he's a fourth year guy. Big guy, knows how to play football. Outstanding first year left tackle, uh, Zachary Palejos. You know, very impressed with him. And then just inside, like they're, they're getting the job done. Again, this is a good Carlton front. We've spoken about it before. You know, Tevin Bowen is stout inside. Jesse Coson's pretty stout inside. Those linebackers, Walsh and Kasser, or is it Kassar? Kasser. Still, jury's still out on that one for us. And, of course, the return of Kenny Onyeka in this one, too. Kenny Onyeka's back. Yeah. Huge. Can't be understated. So, And, and they have Frederick Robitaille. So, again, this yeah. is a good group. Mm-hmm. And they, they had some nice plays, you know, getting after Butner. certainly. I mean, like, you know, Kenny Onyeka can – he can pass rush if you were not That's aware. That's he does. Uh, it is. He had two, two sacks. sacks. Two yeah. sacks on the day to go with two tackles mm. for losses. Mm. Um, and, you know, but talking about Butner, um, you know, one of the names we mentioned there uh, – Jack Kasser, I'll go with that pronunciation. Early on, I don't think it was a sack. I think he got rid of the ball, but laid a massive hit on uh, a Butner, Bittner, whatever we're going with there. And he was definitely favoring his throwing shoulder for the game. Yeah. Which, I mean, just makes it, to use a kind of classic sports commentary line, just a gutty day for for Sawyer out there I mean yeah that'll give you a pit in your stomach as an offensive coach well or anyone on Ottawa for that matter but to his credit he played through and and played very effectively and as we mentioned you know spraying the ball around Kalen Beaver obviously a star in this one 128 yards the two touchdowns uh St. Pierre contributed another touchdown Carter Matheson had two I think he should have had three. There was another yeah. play where I think he had a pretty bad drop. He or... had a bad drop, but but that was on the same drive that he got. One oh, was it the same one? On. Okay, so, fair enough. So so it would have been two either way, but it would have been a few more yards. Yeah. And you're right. That was kind of a bad drop. Mm, those happen. He's a yeah. good receiver. We know that. And, of course, you know, Vieira, I don't know the status of the injury. They were saying he was on crutches, though. I mean, boy, I mean, not even just for the sake of this GG team, a guy who – that's brutal. Was in a CFL really training camp. Ugh. Great, great player. Very electric to watch. Can obviously do it all. And you just hope that it's nothing all that serious and that he is back playing for this Ottawa playoff run because Ottawa is now, I mean, they're they're the second the, seed. Yeah. Someone's gonna have oh. to make a road trip to Ottawa. That's that's gonna be wild. Um, you know, one of the one of the big issues for Carlton this game, you know, go, going into Going into this game, and I think this, after week six, this sort of maintains the norm, or at least how things are in the OUA, that these are the t- top penalized teams in the league, Ottawa and Carlton. I don't know in what order, but for Carlton, it it was brutal. 17 penalties, 165 yards. 165 yards. That, I mean, it's 165 to 60. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's obviously an enormous hole to put yourself in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, there was, that wasn't what determined the outcome of this game, no. but that, that's tough, man. You got, you have to, that has to be fixed. Yeah. And on such, and, you know, it, it's a, it's a big stage, but I mean, like we said, Ottawa 
did a relatively, I mean, at least in comparison, was a much more uh, controlled team in that regard. Um, and, you know, we talked about Nathan Carter already having a nice day on the ground. Uh, but one thing that, you know, and this is kind of, I feel like a, a broken record now where it seems like every week there's a moment in a game where he's being helped off the field at some point and he's returning. So I don't know if it's just one of those things where, I don't know if he just he's susceptible to getting cramps or what it is, but I just it bugs me every time I see him go down, and it it, it never seems to be a big deal. But I'm always just wondering, like, when's the time we're gonna see him go down? And because he, not, I mean, neither of these backs, uh, O'Day or or Carter, are very large guys, you know, and they they run extremely hard, which I give them all the credit in the world for. I mean, sometimes you see a smaller back, you think, oh, they're speedy guy, they're gonna break it to the outside, kind of like how we say Levandre Gordon gets his money, you know. But these guys will grind it up the middle with the best of them in this league, um, and so I, you know, it hasn't it hasn't been a factor yet that Nathan Carter's missed any significant time this year. But just it's it's wor- it's, it's worrisome to me. Yeah, that would be a, a real problem for the Carlton offense if he were to go down for any extended period of time. I mean, running backs who have a big workload like him are they are going to be susceptible to cramps and and nagging small stuff. But you know, to his credit, he has played through everything so far. So. Um, yeah, you just you have to hope that he stays healthy. That would be a really big problem. Something I also wanted to mention, the Carlton uh, offensive line um, looked like it sustained a pretty substantial injury to Nolan McGreer later right. in the game. We will see a loss of him. That would be tough. They have some good depth, but you know he's he's been a great player for them, very consistent. So that would be a problem. They also they played around with some combinations. I don't know. Uh, what exactly they're doing. I mean, you remember Casey Baker uh, was playing at center, and he had some some snapping issues. Yeah. They had Darius McKay back in there this game. Uh, and then Casey made his way back into the game. I forget at which point, but he was back in, and they were shuffling things around. Uh, Omara is a fixture at one of the guard spots, number 57. He's been playing quite well. You know, Darius McKay is the other center. I... I it's interesting. I'm not entirely sure what they want to do, but Jesse Lawson at one of the tackle spots and uh, Jesse Tamming at the other, sometimes if, if McGreer is down. So they're shuffling around. I'm not sure. Like I, I don't know why you wouldn't have Baker at guard. That's his best spot, but they're trying to get their best five on the field maybe. But, mm. uh, yeah, I'm, I'm – um, Some things to solve some things, some things, yeah, Some things to keep your eye on for sure. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, Carlton. Carlton is—they're an enigma, right? Because they—they they can do great stuff on offense, and they can shoot themselves in their feet on offense. And they did both of those things this game, and that really was the the tell of the tape. They had more offense than than Ottawa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not just on a per play basis, or sorry, they had yeah they had a hundred and five more yards of offense, four hundred and seventy five yards to three seventy of Ottawa. But they did it on just two more plays. So their per-play basis, their average gain per play, was 7.4 yards. That is usually good enough to win you games. Yeah. But losing the turnover battle and losing it the substantially. And as well. And that's penalties the, and the turnovers, yeah. right? You take those two things out, this is a very different game. Definitely. Um, but kind of like we said with the Guelph-Laurier game, that's not how it, how it, uh, it, it played out. And, you, you know, you give all the credit in the world – more so in this game to Ottawa than perhaps you give to Guelph um, in their matchup. But, you know, Ottawa took full advantage of uh, Carlton's mistakes 
Um, I believe Carlton at one point had a, a muff punt that Ottawa recovered, which I think turned into the St. Pierre touchdown, which, by the way, if you didn't see, was a beautiful, you know, back of the end zone. He fully laid out for it. Real nice touchdown there. And, of course, um, you know, Sawyer just, you know, you kind of mentioned the attendance, you know, in the 24,000 range uh, uh something i can't really fathom what that would be like playing in front of a raucous crowd obviously something that most most players in the oua don't have experience in front of and you know no matter how composed you perceive yourself to be those things are gonna come into your subconscious in some form it'll tell you a little bit about yourself as a player the way you play in those conditions and what it tells us about sawyer uh butner bittner butner <laughs> Butner, Butner is that he's a good Butner. player and that he's he, nothing's too big for him. So yeah. that bodes well for Ottawa down the stretch because playoff games will be, you know, you won't have the same crowd size, but you will have a similar intensity and atmosphere, and hopefully, and yes, uh, to win a Yates, you'll probably have to go to London and face, you know, at least kind of ten thousand pretty angry uh, fans. So. If if nothing's too big for Sawyer Butner, then that is that is very very good news. Very good news. Um, Sawyer and his GGs will take their four and one record now on the road here at Toronto, where uh, they will play the Varsity Blues on a nice Thursday night game. And uh, Carlton, like we said, will be home when uh, Laurier comes to town on Friday for a one o'clock start. That's a massive game. Oh my. Yeah, it seriously is. I mean, again, like we're talking about, if you lose, if you're Laurier, you're you're, you're pretty much out. Laurier basically has to win out. And there's a scenario by which they go to London in the final week of the season, and Western has nothing to gain from winning that game. And, you know, but who knows? We'll see what happens. I mean, you're not saying Western's going to throw the game, obviously, but just you never know. They might rest a couple guys and, you know, not really have that fire. Sure. Who knows? I mean, if we're just sort of projecting narratives – but Laurier has to win this game, and really, so does Carlton. Yeah, um, it to, gets it gets really mucky for them if they don't. To, to your point, with uh, the implications of that last game of the season with Western and uh, Laurier, while there may be nothing on the line for Western come that moment, I'm sure they would love nothing more than to eliminate Laurier from the playoffs. Oh yeah, taking that victory. You're, of course, you're not, absolutely right. Not at the uh, not at the expense, of course, of injuring anyone that's gonna you know, lead to uh, a hopeful repeat for uh, the Mustangs. Um, but yeah, a, a fantastic, you know, is the 50th Panda. It, I, it could have been a little closer down the stretch. Sure. Ottawa kind of pulled away towards the end, but a fantastic day for, for university sports in general um, in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah, it could have definitely been closer. I mean, when, when Ottawa took the 38 to 14 lead um, in the early fourth quarter, the game was basically over. I mean, you're you're not making a 24-point comeback without a miracle. And yeah. the way that Carlton was playing it, you know, credit to them. They did a very nice job of putting together drives. But, like, an 11-play drive typically isn't um, the way that you're going to get that win. you got to have sort of bang-bang plays, and they didn't have that. So... I wish it was closer. I thought it would be closer. I thought Carlton was the favorite because Carlton has been winning pandas recently. Yeah. But uh, Pedro moves now to the Gigi's <laughs> campus where he will stay for a year. 
and so that puts a wrap on that one. Let's move on now to Western and Queens. Final score in this one, Western 26, Queens 23. A surprise for, I'd have to imagine, everyone who follows OUA football, including probably people in the Queens locker room. A game which was tied going into the half and which Queens led going into the fourth. Who thought we were going to see, well, other than I guess we had already had one uh, comeback for Western already this year. Who thought we were going to have many more uh, games like that this year for them? Not me, and probably not anyone. Or, I mean, maybe just your your, your biggest Western skeptic, maybe. But yeah. this, this game I did not see coming. Western just, mm, they just didn't have a lot of juice. And I... You know, I don't want it to be just uh, what Western did. It also is what Queens did. This is a team that is maturing very nicely on defense. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, compared to what we saw in the early goings of the season where they looked kind of porous, they're getting they're getting stout. They're, I mean, they looking at the statue, you would think, well, Western ran the ball effectively against them, and they did. So, you know, Cedric Joseph had 18 attempts for 109 yards, 6.1 average, and Alex Taylor had 12 for 83, 6.9. But in the early goings of the game, they weren't generating a ton of chunk plays. Queens was 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 being disruptive and getting uh, drives stalled. So, you know, one of the biggest things was just a little bit of the Western sort of timing and touch in the passing game was just slightly off. Queens was playing tighter coverage than Western's used to, I think. They did a very nice job. They were doing so many, you know, varied things in their coverage. They were playing deep four, and then they were playing cover zero, where they'd have the safety to be a, you know, primary run defender. And they did a very nice job, I think, of, of game planning against Western. Western couldn't get really many deep passes going. Really the only one I can remember thinking, oh, okay, there's there's a nice deep bomb, was um, one to uh, Malik uh, Bessager, who is a uh, fourth-year receiver, um, a speedy guy. There may have been a little bit of a push-off, but it's not a penalty <laughs> if they don't call it. And that was late in the game. So, you know, usually we're used to seeing Western hitting balls deep downfield, mm-hmm. and we didn't see a ton of that in this game. No, it was a, it was a nice day for, for Queens' defense. Their secondary um, taking on a huge challenge. Uh, and on their defensive line, a guy whose name we've definitely mentioned a few times for them, and uh, in, in Cam Lawson having a nice day with two sacks, which, you know, obviously uh, – is not easy against a fairly stout offensive line for uh, these Western Mustangs. No, Cam Lawson was was a problem, like a serious problem inside. He's a very good player. Yeah. He plays, you know, he plays kind of long armed and with a lot of lean. So there are some things about his game that you might say, okay, like there might be something to exploit there for offensive linemen. But for the most part, you see him just pushing guys back. Getting like getting off blocks, shedding blocks in the backfield, and being a problem. But you know their whole defensive front played pretty well. I, you know they have a first year kid named Anthony uh, Federico, who's a defensive end. Who you know not a dynamic pass rusher, but he is very stout in the run game. And I thought he did a very nice job. Um, their linebackers were playing well. Curtis Schaefer was was all over the field, and you know again like they know how to play Western. There is a sort of an institutional knowledge of how to play Western. And Beck Manis obviously was at Queens before he was at Carleton, uh, back to Queens as the D.C. I thought he had a very nice game plan. I thought he did a really good job of, of taking away certain stuff. They were committing to 
uh, the power game, you know, by, by sort of running people over the top a lot and uh, having their ends very aggressively crash the pullers. And, yeah, I mean, just all around, it was a good game by Queens. And their DBs, their DBs played really well. Yeah. You know, kind of a young group. I think they, they graduated everybody last year, so or all of their starters. So they, they obviously, you know, they're still gelling as a group together, but it seems like they're very much on the same page now. And, okay, so Chris Merchant had 280 yards passing. That's neither sort of a good day or a bad day for him in terms of yardage, but he had no touchdown passes. So mm-hmm. that, that is, that's impressive. I mean, that's, that's sort of the bend-don't-break mentality. And they, uh, they really didn't break very often. So very impressed with Queens, the way they played defensively. And when you talk about having uh, a, a young or at least a new secondary group, you know, there might be some moments early in the season where you're going to be exposed because of they're not maybe used to those big game moments or the communication's lacking a little bit. But I, I think the move, is like, and we've kind of talked about this with some of the teams that we've seen rotating quarterbacks, is that as quickly as you can find out who your go-to guy or guys are, the better, whether they're you know, at their final form at that moment, just knowing that we're going to ride it out with this group or this person and, you know, through the reps and through gelling with whomever they're playing around as the season goes on, uh, you know, they will become a stronger unit. And this is a Queens team that I, I think is, is a threat in, the, in this league. Now, at least when we talk about, I mean, well, clearly from this game, a threat to Western, it would seem, but, you know, obviously taking out, uh, Guelph last week it'll be really interesting to see coming down the stretch how this team places in that sort of middle pack of OUA teams when we get towards the end of the season um, and for them offensively of course it's all it's about Nate Hobbs um, it's absolutely all about Nate Hobbs he played a really great game he elevated his team he had to deal with a decent amount of pressure Western could not really get home I mean they had they sent um, Chris Ellis on a couple of blitzes he's sort of a I don't know if you'd call him a Sam linebacker or an inside linebacker. He sort of has more of a Sam body type. He's very fast, um, but he's not a big, big guy. But he does play well in the box. They sent him on a couple of blitzes, and he got home. But outside of him, there there was pressure, but there weren't sacks. So, you know, Andrew Thurston had a nice day getting sort of like maybe five or six quarterback pressures on the day, but he couldn't quite get home for sacks. They were chipping defensive ends with running backs, uh, H-backs, uh, getting the ball out quickly. They were sliding stuff around. You know, this offensive line for Queens played a nice game, and it's a unit that I think I typically would look at and say, okay, nothing to see here, not all that good. That would be my sort of instinctive reaction. But actually, there is kind of something to see here, and they are not bad. I mean, they, there's certainly a lot of room to grow, and it is a young unit uh, across the board, you know, a lot of sort of second-ish year players. Uh, but they're they're quite big, and... They don't lose a ton in terms of athleticism. So I was impressed. I mean, Western's defensive front is difficult. And if they're playing their best game, they're borderline unstoppable. But they weren't playing their best game, and that was enough for the Queen's offensive line to do a good job. And it doesn't really show up um, mm, on the stat sheet, they didn't like. It's not as though they ran the ball a ton or super effectively, but that—that's not what they do. That's not mm-hmm. what they've done all season. And I mean, you know, Jake Puskis had a pretty nice day. 
On seven attempts, he had 46 yards. That's good for a 6.6 average. But, and and I, I do hate doing this, but you take away that 27-yard run. Yeah. And then right, it's right. sort of, you know, again, just to sort of explain the average, it wasn't as though he was consistently getting five, six yeah. yards a carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tristan Kucher, you know, he had, he had 21 yards. Rashid Tucker only had 10 yards on three carries. But he showed you some really interesting stuff. He has some elite traits. This is a very twitchy, quick kid. First-year kid uh, out of uh, out of Toronto. He's a UCC guy, right? He's a UCC guy. Hey, UCC. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I went to SAC, so not like UCC. <laughs> no, but no, no. Great player. Uh, very, very explosive. So he had, you know, he broke some ankles. Uh, yeah. And made some yards for himself there, even though he only had a few attempts. He also had uh, a couple of receptions that he got, you know, 27 yards on. So that's good. Again, like they did what they did. They did what they do best against a team that is hard to do those things against, Western. Mm. They, they, they passed the ball all over Western. So And they were get, hitting them for some chunk yardage plays. Uh, you know, Del Brocco's a guy who, like, every week we're mentioning his name coming up. A very good receiver. Uh, I, I believe I saw on Queen's page that this is a career high for him. Six catches for 141 yards on the day and a, a nice long reception of 76. You know, O.C. Kusi him. Now, I think that yeah. one was on a um, – I don't know if you call it a flea flicker. I usually think of a flea flicker as being an inside handoff. Yeah, they've run that play twice now. Where the running back goes up the gut and flicks it back. This is an outside handoff. The running back reverses it to a receiver back. and then pops it up to Hobbs, who throws it deep. Yeah, I forget who they ran that against earlier this year, but that's the second time we've seen that one come out of the playbook for them. Yeah, Queens Queens is showing uh, they're very aggressive, and mm-hmm. they're not only aggressive on offense, but they're aggressive on special teams, and they're not hiding it. I mean, they're... they're um, they're doing it every week. I mean, against Guelph, they had uh, they had an onside kick, or they did, I know they did a fake punt early in a the fake game. Punt. Yeah. I thought they had an onside kick. They might have at some point. I'm not remembering. In this game, but. they had an onside kick. Um, didn't work out for them, but love the aggression. I mean, no tell on it, just out of nowhere. And they also had a fake field goal that they did convert for a first down. They ended up only getting a field goal on the drive, anyways, but they got themselves in slightly yeah. better field position. So. Very aggressive by Queens, and uh, yeah, I mean, you know, might as well just go for it all, right? Like, why not? And something you are literally seeing game in and game out for the Queens Golden Gales is a rushing touchdown, or in this case, two touchdowns for Nate Hobbs himself. This is now every game this season. He's had one. He's now top of the uh, OUA rushing touchdown uh, uh, leaderboard with eight on the season. And once again, it, it's still yeah. And these are short QB sneaks. These aren't these aren't sort of him breaking long no, runs. No. You know, decently athletic, uh, but that that wouldn't be his his bread and butter skill no. set. This is just you know goal line stuff. He's he's um, finding ways to get that extra sort of couple of feet and plunge in for the touchdowns. And in lieu of any passing touchdowns for him, 360 yards passing, 18 of 36. So not optimally efficient in terms of completion percentage, but. You can't be too unhappy with 360 yards passing. Definitely not. And, um, you know, again, just more than just the stat line, Nate Hobbs is elevating his team. Mm-hmm. Without Nate Hobbs, this team is in trouble. The receivers, uh, you know, Mateo had a, had a nice day with 141 yards, 76 of that coming. I think it was on a trick play. I think that was I think, yeah, I believe that. it was that. Fleet. Unless it was the Chris Ozikusi 50-yarder. No, I think no, it was Mateo. No, no, it wasn't Ozikusi on that one. Chris Osikusi, you know, one of the best receivers in this league. No secret there. He had three catches for 96 yards. He also had a couple of drops. Mm. Uh, one of them was, you know, like 
he shouldn't drop those. He's too good of a player to drop those. I don't know if it would have necessarily made any big difference in the game, but you never know because this was a razor-thin margin of a game, right? I mean, Western wins by three points, and, you know, it could have been – A lot of moments that could have a lot of A lot of very, very small yeah. moments that, uh, that made a big difference. There were some costly penalties um, by Queens, including – there was one roughing the passer call. If you watched the broadcast, you saw Pat Sheehan uh, irate at the end of the the first half with the uh, officiating. That there was the- there was one roughing the passer call that was just garbage. That was in the first quarter, right? I think or- it was in the second. It was okay. on. I think it was on Cam Lawson. I think. I or, you know what? No, you're right. That was that one was in the first quarter. Yeah. There was another one in the, in towards the end of the half that was. More legitimate than that one against Cam Lawson, but still, I mean, you know, you saw the NFL, they're they're picking up flags now and uh, not calling it as much because they realize if you call a roughing the passer and everything, you're going to really make the game unwatchable. So uh, there was there was one that was legit, but after that first one on Cam that was so very bad, I can understand why he was upset and had a hairpin trigger for sure. the... Uh, uh, the the outrage on that call. That's fine. Western, though, I mean, this is... So, to some degree, this is a story about how Queens has matured and developed on defense, how Hobbs is elevating their offense. Both of those things are true. I don't want to take anything away from Queens, but in the next breath, I will, because <laughs> Western obviously just did not play their best game. Um, there was... I only saw one occasion where egregiously... And I don't know if this is on Merchant, but I will assume it is, where they had an open guy streaking downfield that he didn't hit him. Mm. Chris Merchant is the best pure passer in this conference. If you want to make the argument that Trey Ford is the more dynamic offensive player, you can make that argument, sure. But if you if you were talking about just having one quarterback, right. he's the best quarterback. He's on the best team. He missed a throw. Instead, putting it into tight coverage yielded nothing. He missed a guy wide open. So that happens. Uh, no, when I say miss, again, he didn't throw it at him. He threw it at someone else. He just didn't see that he was wide open, and he should have. Sure. That's fine. I mean, everyone makes mistakes. Western's best players did not play their very best game today. They were not abjectly bad. They just didn't play their best. Frazier Sopic is a guy who, week in, week out, if you're watching the Western defense, you expect him to be an unstoppable force. Typically is. This week, he looked quite stoppable. And and so, again, like just whole team mindset they kind of slept walked a little bit through the early goings of this game. Frankly, they they turned it on in the fourth quarter, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't super duper dominant. It was just they did enough to win and only enough. It, which in many ways could be a good thing for this ball club because we talked about last week. Yeah. When, when you're hitting on all cylinders so early in the season, where does that motivation come in to, you know, find those mistakes and, you know, as you kind of mentioned, they kind of slept walk through the first part of this game. Sure. But it's also perhaps a product of Queens maybe, maybe showing that there are, there is a weakness. There are holes to be found in this Western team. They're not infallible. Um, and one, you know, one, I don't, I'm not remembering seeing this play, but uh, another missed field goal, apparently by Mark Leggio. I remember seeing it and it was a short one. It was a chip shot. And, and that's, you know, I mean, now we're down to like two missed field goals on the year 
amongst like however many he's made. It's not like a wealth of anything. Uh, Don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. I no. think it's a microcosm of just the entire team performance being sleepy and not its best. And Western doesn't win games because they're Western. They win games because they're all they're very talented, sure, but they prepare effectively and they they keep getting better. And I don't know, you know, if this is symptomatic of a larger ill then this is a problem for western if this is a uh, a little bit of a wake-up call perfect that's yeah. great for western or terrible for the rest of the league <laughs> so um you know my hat's off to queens i thought they played a great game i thought they had a great offensive and defensive game plan they executed it very effectively and they contained western's offense as much as um it well as much as as much as sort of you reasonably can expect. Sure. To. Yeah. Um and and Western, I think, um not calling anyone out. I mean I have called some people out, but not not in like sort of a nasty way. It's just people don't play their best games all the time. Yeah. You expect enormous things from a lot of Western players. They didn't all deliver. Fine. I'm sure they will next week. They just have to kind of brush this one off. And uh, get back to doing what they do best, which is preparing well and and uh, and playing with with just fiery intensity. Well, they'll be doing so on a short week because they're taking on Windsor back at home, which uh, eh, they should be able to bounce back from from this one fairly. Uh, we mentioned before it is one. the blackout game. If you have any Western football player on Instagram, you've doubtless seen this. They're all posting it up because. I mean, last year they did it against Queens, and it was uh, it was a very fun atmosphere. They they filled the stadium for a game that I don't think anyone expected to be super duper close, and uh, everyone was wearing black, and that was fun. Again, blackout clothing, not, not alcoholically. No, no bad. <laughs> no. Uh, so yeah, no, it, it should be a great game in terms of energy because that's what it was last year when they promoted this game up, and yeah, as we said earlier on, a bit of a litmus test. Um, for Western's defense, how they'll adjust to all the sort of the cool stuff that Windsor's doing offensively in terms of motions. And I mean, I'll be I'll be watching. Yeah. And for Queens, they are uh, heading on the road to Hamilton to take on the Marauders. Coming, we're coming off the bye week, which uh, you know when you take a look at these standings, this is another one of those games that's gonna come down. You know, when we look at when the season is finally over, we look at games that tip the scales one way or the other. Given how the season shaked up to this point so far, this is one of those games I think we'll be looking at the outcome and saying, if you know this went that way or something else happened, one team made the playoffs, another it big game, big yeah, game. yeah. The race to five wins for all the sort of the middle, yeah. the middle tier teams is on, and uh, I, I think I think both are sort of both are playoff caliber teams, but there will be a musical chairs situation with. Uh, with with that middle tier where someone's going to get sort of tiebreaker screwed, so to speak. I mean, not screwed. You know, you, you determine your own destiny with wins yeah. and losses, but there will be one loss somewhere that is extremely costly because it will put someone in the playoffs and keep someone out. Well, that'll, uh, that'll do it for the Western Queens wrap. Moving on to the last game of the week now, uh, Waterloo taking on York. Without a doubt, this game is the upset of the week. The Lions pulling this one off 34-32. to 32, Coming down literally to the wire when Waterloo was a field goal away from taking this one at the end. 
which the Lions blocked to secure their second win on the season. Um, and before we get into it, you know, they've, they have two wins so far, and they, they've yet to play U of T. They're, I believe, uh, scheduled to face off in the last week of the season, which, you know, if, if York wins, obviously, because I'm not expecting them to uh, defeat, uh, they're on the bye next week, but then they're playing um, Carlton the following week, and then, yeah, leading up to their game against U of T. Not expecting them to take out Carlton, but if they beat U of T, that, of course, will give them a 3-5 and five record on the year. And so I did a little digging, and do you want to take a stab at the last time York won three games in a season? I am going to say uh, early 2000s. Not bad. It was 2005. Okay. Last time, and uh, you know, between now and then, there's been a lot of eight, zero and eight seasons as well. Um, but this would be it'd be great to see York pull that off. Uh, yeah, and you know what? The thing is, is they still control their own destiny. I think I'm not sure about how the tiebreakers work out, but if they were to somehow miraculously knock off Carlton, who just to no, but just to put it in perspective. Would that really be a bigger upset than knocking off Waterloo right here? True. No, I w- I wasn't scoffing at the idea of that happening, but it, it just hadn't really clicked to me that. If they ran the table, they could theoretically oh make God. the playoffs. Oh boy! And that—that that is, <laughs> that would be incredible. Uh, you know, York—you have to give them a lot of credit. They played a great game, and Waterloo, not as much. We'll get into exactly how, but yeah, York theoretically could make the playoffs. That's because again, like they would have the tiebreaker over Carlton and Waterloo, and they'd be sitting at four and four, so they'd have a chance. Four and four is that that magic number that if you get to that and you have the right tiebreakers. You know, if things shake out in your favor, you're in. And so, they were a couple plays away from knocking out Guelph at, in in Guelph earlier this season too. So I mean, it, yeah. it, it, you know, it starts with this passing attack with the Hunchacks. Brett finishing 23 of 37 for uh, 292 yards, three TDs, one pick, um, and, and spreading the ball around. Uh, obviously, his brother Colton. That's like the 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 go to in that receiving core. Uh, finishing six receptions, 49 yards, one touchdown. Um, but, you know, of course, uh, Hakuna Van, uh, Vanu, did I get that one right? You got it. Boom. And Eric Kimler also contributing with touchdowns of their own. But, I, I you know, I, you noticed this right away. What was really nice seeing in this game was York getting their run game going. Yeah, this is, I think, the first time all year I can say that I thought York ran the ball effectively. And... Kane Johnson, it's not really his fault. It's just not – they're not a great offensive line. And, you know, again, no individual players at fault there. It's just the unit itself is not one of the better ones in the league. Caden Johnson is a nice runner, but he needs a little bit of room. He's a big guy. He's tall. He's very fast, but he's not uh, super – sort of laterally quick. He's more of sort of a straight line, one cut kind of runner. Which I think shows up in that we've seen his name come up more in having nice like returns in the kicking game for them rather than having just standout days as a running back. Yeah, and if he has some room to operate, if he has sort of a clear hole to run through, he can run through it very hard, very fast. So he had a very nice day, 11 attempts, 85 yards, a long of 21, but he had a few of those or uh, a couple of those. And... You know, it wasn't It wasn't sort of, again, it wasn't grinded out seven yards per carry. It was more sort of boom and bust, but we hadn't seen many chunk plays from him. That was nice to see. Uh, didn't factor a ton as a passer. He had a few catches for 17 yards, but a good day from him. And obviously, Brad Hunchak had a nice day airing it out. A lot of that did come in the first half. The first half was mostly dominated by York. They ended the first half. 
uh, with a rouge from Mastro Giuseppe to put them up 26 to – oh, excuse me. No. Uh, they, they, they did have that, that rouge to get them put them up 26 to 14, but then there was a, uh, uh, a Tyler Ternowski, um touchdown pass from Trey Ford that uh, put the score at 14 to 26, 26 York's favor. Uh, and then it was it was pretty much all Waterloo in the second half. And they really opened it up. In the first half, something that you expect to see from York defensively is that sting look. And when I say sting, it's called many different ways, but uh, the, the core concept is they're sending plus one. So however many people can block for Waterloo, they're sending one more guy. And that means that they're going to be in zero coverage on the back end. So it is a high-risk, high-reward defensive formation way to attack an offense. Right. But something that you're used to seeing from York, expecting to see from York, they haven't dialed it up as much this year. They brought it out this game and to, you know, substantial effect. They had, you know, at least one sack on Trey Ford where you're just thinking, oh, Trey's going to make magic again. He's lost 20 yards, but he's going to scramble around and get, you know, a 50-yard gain on the play out of nowhere for no reason because he's Trey Ford. But they actually got him down on the sack. So Oh, they made him uncomfortable many times, even when they didn't bring him down. A really effective job getting after it. Correct, yeah. And and so that was that was awesome. And that, I think, largely uh, was what stymied their offense early on. Mm-hmm. In the second half, a bit of a different story. Waterloo, I mean, they, they, they threw the ball all over York. Yeah. I, <laughs> what a, what a Trey made... Ford had 450, uh, 437 yards passing. Yeah. Over 500 when you add in. Yeah, his, his 46 uh, his, his, his rushing. rushing. What amazes me with Waterloo is even in a game like this where, you know, on paper, they're better than York. Uh, most people expected them to take this one, like I said, upset of the week for sure. But when you look at their final box score offensively, even in the games that Waterloo's lost this year, at no point can you say that was on Trey Ford. You know, I'm expecting at one point them to lose a game and say, you know what, Trey had a bad game, which just makes me wonder, what would this team look like if Trey ever did have a bad game? Well, I mean, you could sort of say that's what it looked like against Western, but that that would be a little unfair. Yeah. Everybody had a bad day against Western, except maybe Tyler Ternowski. He's immune from that, but everyone had a bad game against Western. Trey's numbers reflected that, and that's what it looks like. It's not quite 500 yards total offense from Trey, but... Uh, it's in the 480s. So just to brush up on our math real quick, 483, I believe. Uh, he had 46 yards rushing. Dion Pellerin had 61 rushing. He did a nice job kind of grinding away. There were a couple penalties that brought back some nice runs from him. But that, again, they're not, they're not really a running team. They're a passing team, and they pass to two guys primarily. And uh, if you've heard of them, stop me here. Gordon Lamb and Tyler Chernowski. Tyler Chernowski. You know, I think he's like a consensus All-Canadian. I think he, he he might be the best receiver now. Like, a, him and Curly Giddens are both incredible, but what he's doing, it cannot be understated how impressive it is. Or overstated, rather. Uh, I'm certainly not understating it. <laughs> Can't be overstated. Gordon Lamb had a really nice day, too. He had 12 oh, yeah. catches for 259 yards and Ooh. two touchdowns. He was on fire. He was making plays all over the place, including some miraculous ones to almost win this game for Waterloo and you know as you alluded to in the intro this game absolutely would have been Waterloo's but for a blocked field goal mm. 
And by I believe it was a rookie, I believe, for a rookie? the Lions. Yeah, yeah. Earn your stripes, young blood. There you go. That's awesome. Um, and you you mentioned the uh, York's rushing game. Uh, they actually opened up the scoring on a 34-yard scamper by Brett Hunchak to get that first touchdown. Which, I mean, you know, we talk about him out, you know, ad nauseum with how effective he's been as a passer this year. I don't know if that's going to be a consistency, a consistent thing to see out of him. We see I, he's definitely had a few nice runs in the year. Uh, I'm thinking back to the Guelph game earlier in the year. I remember seeing him have like one really nice run in particular. But you know, obviously, 81 yards on the ground in total for Hunchak to play the game that you often do as well. 34, of course, coming on that one big run. So I don't know if have in that 80 uh, yard ballpark is a consistent thing we'll see from him, but. If you get it once in a while, that's just a huge bonus you throw in for this York offense. No, it absolutely is. Quarterbacks running, and I, I can't remember. It did look like a designed run to me, um, but it might not have been. And quarterbacks running, especially when they're not designed, they're such a problem. They're, they're a problem either way, but they're such a problem when you've done a nice job in coverage. Mm-hmm. Your defensive line has, you know— Maybe they're getting pressure, and it's the pressure that's flushing the quarterback and causing him to move. Maybe they're just doing a decent job of staying in their rush lanes, and they're not getting sort of huge pressure, and it gives the quarterback time. But when he sees defensive backs and linebackers turned away in coverage and gets a chance to move the sticks with his legs, that's just not something you can really – it breaks game plans. You can yeah. deal with it. You can you can strategize to deal with it. But it really, really hurts when you know they're in second and ten – and the quarterback just takes off and busts up your defense. So, uh, excellent job by both the Hunchaks, but specifically Brett in his ability to run as a quarterback. And again, you know, he had a very nice day passing. He had a really nice long pass to Eric Kimberly. I want to say that was about a 60-yarder. They ended up just getting a field goal out of that. That was um, in the uh, in the second quarter. And you know that just they played a nice game. They produced yardage. So mm. I, I was impressed. Defensively, York, you can't talk about York's defense without talking about Rossini, Sanjong, Jabom. And I hope I'm saying that right. It's a complicated name. <laughs> I'm not even going to st- take a stab at it. So no, don't more power don't to you. But this this is, you know, again, we talk about great defensive linemen yeah. in this conference. Uh, the guys on the weaker teams, him and Malcolm Campbell, are guys we cannot forget about. So Definitely. always keep an eye on Rossini when you're watching. He's very, very quick. He's kind of rounding into a complete defensive end where he can play the run. When it's at him, when the run's going away from him, he can pursue very nicely down the line, mm-hmm. and he's a good pass rusher. So the matchup between him and Jesse Gibbon in this game, definitely something that was fun for me to watch because these are two guys who are likely CFL prospects. And going back to that blocked field goal at the end of the game, uh, it was rookie Matt Dean to now throw a name uh, to the uh, play. And he also finished with a sack on the game as well as a forced fumble and uh, a recovery of, well, that very fumble. So, you know, talk about earning your stripes all game long. Um, you know, big ups to big ups to Matt Dean for, for showing out in this one and, you know, pulling out a big victory, which, you know, the odds aren't in their favor that they sneak in, but wouldn't but that it, be something to see? But there's a chance. But there's a chance. And that's an incredible position for York to be in at this time of the year. It's It's unusual. It's not a position they've been in. For several years now, I think going back to when Michael Folds was the OC there. Jeez. So pre-Laurier days for him. And 
I, you know, it's nice to see a glimmer of hope for this team. And it's nice to see a dynamic second tier, third tier of play in the OUA. I mean, even U of T, you know, they might finish the year with no wins. They might finish with one. But U of T is not a bad team to watch, at least defensively now. I mean, yeah. they've, they've got a lot to work on, sure. But they're moving in the right direction. And this is really good news. So if the OUA was perfectly competitive across the board where anyone could beat anyone any given week, that would be an amazing thing for football in Ontario, university football. And, I mean, that's what I hope for. That's Definitely. absolutely – I mean, but, of course, I hope Western wins. <laughs> but I hope I hope it's a good game most weeks. Yeah. Um, and, and going back to Waterloo, you know, right now, sitting at 3-3 three and three on the season, and you just kind of hope this isn't a repeat of last year where come out of the gate so strong and then, it, you know – it kind of, I mean, they finished last year four and four, right? When they came out to the four zero start and then lost in the uh, all four in the second half, and that's not quite how it's shaping up now. But you know, ever since not far off. I mean, the, the, off, that yeah. that's the concern, right? Like, I believe in this Waterloo team, mm-hmm. and I know they believe in themselves. But well, you look at the one loss to Carlton that easily could have gone either way. This game could have gone either way, but it doesn't but matter. But this is York, so this is a game that should not be able to go yeah. either way if you contend that you are a strong playoff team again we love if the conference is dynamic but there is still a clear bottom tier yeah york is clearly in it and this is a great win for them this is a hang your hat on kind of win all for not if they don't make the playoffs at least in terms of <laughs> in terms of playoff implications but this is a problem for waterloo i mean you know you'd hope that the beating they took at the hands of western would have just been a momentary setback and they would have been able to brush it off because short of that loss to Carlton, this is a team that would have been, you know, in a very good position. You know, mm-hmm. that, that loss to Western is the only one that is it was was obvious. So you're right. I mean, this is a team that could have gone either way, but they have to have it go their way, especially against teams like York. Now the their remaining schedule is well, both these teams it's tricky. Yeah, both. Yeah, it, it, it and a huge amount of playoff implications going down the stretch. Both these teams actually get the bye for next week. Uh, York will look to, you know, see if they can continue the streak. The following Friday, so the tw- October twelfth, at home against Carlton, one o'clock start there. So once again, you're getting the traveling team. Uh, one o'clock start, maybe that plays into their favor. And Waterloo will be playing one o'clock start the following day. Uh, at home against Mac, which uh, Mac and Guelph, you yeah. want to talk about a way to to try to win out? Those are two teams that are also in this discussion of, you know, get to five wins, get to six wins if you can. Obviously, not possible for Guelph at this point. Yeah. But uh, where is it mathematically? Wait, uh, I don't. No, no, because no, 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 they're on. Not, no. They're going on their bye. They get to now. get to five wins for Guelph. Either way, like very, very intense playoff ramifications for both of their games remaining. We'll see how things shake out. It's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on. As we mentioned a thousand times, musical chairs for the playoff. And uh, as we're getting closer and closer, it just becomes more and more exciting. And I can't wait to get there. But that is our wrap for week six in the OUA. Uh, Let's move on. So if you don't mind real quick, Zach, I want to take us out to Canada West. Let's do it. So I watched what was probably the best game of the year that I've seen so far across you know, all Canadian university football. And it was UBC versus Alberta. And that's surprising 
because we, we said some things about Alberta. <laughs> well, we said some things, and some things have been said by other people, and yeah. it seems like it's kind of the consensus. But Alberta's not a good program right now. They're not at their best. They lost some very important guys last year. But they managed to get a win against UBC. And it was a fun game to watch because it was really just a few players for Alberta you had to you had to keep your eye on. They have a first-year back named Jonathan Rosary who one game sample size that I've watched and I've seen. So obviously this isn't a final opinion and well, take it at take it at that sure. value, but this kid looked to me like he should be the the whole country's rookie of the year. Really? He was incredible. Mm. He was doing it all and he kind of runs and obviously it's silly when you make comparisons to pro players, especially in the NFL, especially great ones. <laughs> in this case, like Alvin Kamara. Nice comparison. <laughs> when I watch this guy run, that's what I see. Yeah. Again, it's it's the style of running. It's that he's not a big back. You wouldn't call him a power back, but he has some power. He's got great balance. It's the way he runs, though, specifically. He's got those very light steps. It's almost like a cat running, right? He's, mm. he's just, like, it seems like at any point he could sort of change direction and bounce off of something, and he's got a nice long stride. This guy is special. So if you get a chance to watch Alberta at all this year, I mean, they won't they won't make the playoffs in Canada West. They're just not in the position to do that. But this is a huge, huge year-making win for them against UBC. And UBC now, they're not looking their best. Michael, what a weird year for UBC, eh? Yeah. Michael O'Connor uh, is obviously one of the best quarterbacks in the country, but he hasn't played his best. This was a game where I thought – you know what? He played pretty well. Ton of drops. Like at least seven or seven. I think seven on the day was my minimum number. Maybe there was eight. I mean, it was bad. It was really, really gross. And, you know, I expect I expect UBC to be good at kind of every position, and they're clearly not. I mean, mm. you know, Travell Pinto is a great receiver for them. Empty dub. <laughs> and empty dubs. They have some other guys. But, I mean, I, I it was a very disappointing performance. So, uh, on the other side of the ball, so with Alberta, back to Alberta's offense, this Jonathan Rosary kid is absolutely a must-watch. They also have a receiver who used to be their quarterback. His last name is uh, Kopczynski, Kopczynski, something like that. Probably Polish. Some kind of Eastern yeah, European. It was a difficult name to pronounce. It's kind of funny watching him because he's a big guy. Like you're, He's not super tall, but he's he's very thickly built. So you're looking at him thinking, like this guy looks kind of physically like a fullback. Like You'd want him inside hitting people. Great route runner, surprisingly quick, catches everything thrown at him. He had just a, a ton of catches on the day, and that was it was funny to watch because like I'm just I'm looking at him thinking like this is a guy who should be hitting people. Yeah, and he's <laughs> he's catching everything. He just was uh, was fantastic. So um, Alberta played a very nice day, and uh, I thought their quarterback I think his name's Baker, last name Baker. Um, he had a uh, a very efficient day when throwing to Kobzinski, and you know, Alberta did just enough. Their offensive line is actually very interesting to watch. If you're watching them, watch the right tackle. This kid is quick as heck. I'm going to get you a name in a minute. Um, but he's he's one of those talents that you're you're looking at thinking like, I don't know if I've ever seen an offensive lineman just this fast. Mm. So, and of course, you would have, but just, I mean, in current OUA, right, yeah, yeah. Canada West play, he is incredibly quick. So he's someone to watch. Alberta's center also very nasty, like just – smacking people all over the place fun to watch and, and and it sort of is a part of a trend where 
there are no bad offensive lines in Canada West. They're, yeah, they they're grow all, them big out there. They're all big. They're all they all can move pretty much. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's fun football to watch out there, and their broadcasts are great every week. So, uh, those are my notes from the uh, the UBC game. And again, I'm not watching, you know, every Canada West game, but because they play a lot of their games on Friday nights regularly, if you are a fan of Canadian University football, it is something you can watch. They have a game pass that you have to buy. I think it's about 35 bucks for a single sport, 29 bucks if you get the early bird pass. They probably would prefer me not say this, but you can share <laughs> it with friends. And so you can sort of uh, <laughs> split up the cost a little bit, you know, try not to have a thousand to an account. But, yeah. you know, like a couple people can share an account. And well, maybe they'll realize the error in the way of their system now and correct it with your making it public. So perhaps this is. Well, maybe they won't. Maybe they yeah. won't. Um, <laughs> so if you are interested in Canada West football, Canadian football, broadly speaking, I absolutely encourage you to get this game pass because, you know, it's not a ton of money and the broadcast quality is outstanding. Like it's, it, it really doesn't take much of a backseat even to the CFL. They have multiple camera angles. They mm. have color commentary guys who really know their stuff. And, you know, not to shade our conference, but the the media production quality is very up and down. Yeah. When it's at its best, it's it's great. Well, just and look at the panda. Like, like well, that was that was done by CHCH, right? So that, I mean, like when when the production is put on by the school, yeah, it's typically lacking. But Canada West, I guess, just owing to their enormous costs that they have, um, you know, just associated with travel in that conference. They, you know, what's an extra. 10 grand a game to put together a good production. Sure. And so. but you know what Gi- given the response I've seen just to even our podcast that we've been doing and just you know being on you know going on forums like ACG you, ooh. Ooh. Mm-hmm. but you know regardless of some of the content you see there is a contingent a large contingent of people who are into you know sticking specifically in the OUA and I'm sure there would be people who would even say like yeah I'll throw in a couple bucks to be able to improve the uh, the quality of the media product um, here and there. And, you know, maybe it's something they should look into. I just found out the OUA actually has their own app, which is really cool. No way. I think uh, OUA Front Row, I believe it's called. Uh, it does all, it covers all sports, but you can specifically, you know, have it set to just give you football notifications and it'll give you score updates, box scores, standings, and, like, kind of news and notes that they post on their website. Um, but that was kind of cool, actually, to find out. But... Something else I wanted to mention about this game, it's a note, I can't believe I didn't mention it in my initial blurb. The most unbelievable call almost altered this game. And if it had, I would have advised Alberta to play the rest of the season under protest because it was insane. Like, we're talking all the all the jokes that are made about refs being blind. Usually very unfair. <laughs> Just because you disagree with a call yeah. doesn't mean they're blind. This was like, yeah, these guys are freaking blind. Like, they called a deep pass to Travel Pinto complete when he never had it. Like, it was like it hit his hand, boom, out, and then he mm. was out of bounds. It was beyond belief. Like, the worst call you've ever seen. And they, they ruled it a catch. And, in, you know, in their defense, it was on the sideline. Maybe the angle was just so that they couldn't see it. But from the broadcast camera angle... I mean, it was incredible. Like, the UBC took another shot down the field. Um, 
because that you know after that they were they were in striking distance. They took a shot in the end zone rather. Yeah. And one of the commentators said, and I quote, after uh, after the ball went you know sailing over the receiver. I wonder if they'll call that a catch. <laughs> and it was great. M- must have been an empty dub uh, alumnist wearing those stripes on the day. It must have been because this was the furthest thing from a catch, and it was hilarious. Um, but, yeah, no, that was that was worth mentioning. So, I mean, Michael O'Connor, just to, to bring it back real quick, the internet's working now. He had a very nice day. He had 322 yards, 26 of 43, two touchdowns, and, again, like seven drops. So, you know, put those factor those in, and you're looking at, like, He's into the 30s completions-wise. He's in well into 400 yards passing-wise. Um, I guess they did factor in that catch from Travell Pinto. Uh, <laughs> well, same way so, we say. So maybe his passing yards would have been down a few. But same way we say it's not a hold, it's not a penalty if they don't call it. Oh, they call it a catch. I guess it's a catch. Pretty rough example of that. Uh, other news in Canada West, really quick. Yeah. Calgary uh, beat Saskatchewan pretty badly. Uh, this one was at Calgary, so the first game they played was in Saskatchewan, and that was a closer game. Mm-hmm. Calgary pulled away late, but it was a close game for much of the game. And Calgary in this game, yeah, 33-13. to um, Adam Sinagra, another pretty outstanding game. I think he has to be the odds-on favorite for the Heck. Uh, heck Crichton, that is, for anyone who's unaware, that is the most outstanding player award, most outstanding offensive player, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it always goes to an offensive player either way. And he, in this game, threw for 430 yards and four touchdowns. Damn. Uh, I mean, just another day for him. That's yeah. what he, that's what he's doing every week. It's pretty crazy. Adam Sinagra doing Adam Sinagra things. He really is. So, And that the way that shook out with respect to the receiving, Hunter Carl had another big day, 117 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Alex Basilis had five catches, 116 and a touchdown. Justin Julien had 74 and a touchdown. Uh, the brothers Philpot, you know, Tyson had four for 50, no touchdowns, and Jalen had one for 40 and a touchdown. So spreading that ball around. Those are, you know, those are two outstanding players. Obviously, names we have to bring up. Mm-hmm. They didn't really have a ton going on the ground running because why bother if you can throw for <laughs> a bajillion yards and four touchdowns every week? Yeah. He's uh, a really incredible player. Saskatchewan really didn't get a ton going on the day. I mean, they had, you know, their their quarterback, Kyle Simeons, did throw for almost 300 yards, 297 to be exact. And he had a pick, no touchdowns. He was just one completion over 50%, 21 of 40. Yeah, I mean, Saskatchewan is a team that needs to be able to play good defense and efficient offense, and this was not the level of efficiency that, that they have to play to win games, obviously, because they didn't win. And... um uh, defensively, not you know, not a ton going on either way. Nothing really to speak of. And Canada West, always a tough conference. The other game uh, of the week, Regina versus Manitoba. Regina squeaked out a win, 32-31. Overtime game, right? Was it an overtime game? I it was so. an overtime yeah. game. And uh, it must have been a missed extra point that determined this game. I didn't watch it because in overtime, Regina got seven and Manitoba got six. True, true. So, uh, damn, that sucks. <laughs> you know what? Wow, bold. Manitoba went for a two point conversion. Oh, no way. And it failed. Oh, gutty. I like it. Unless it was like a bad Bobble snap, snap that, and that then he they... picked up and tried. Fire! So, fire! 
That would be so bold. Imagine that. Thinking, yeah, okay, we can tie this game. Nope, let's just win it instead. Oh, or lose it. <laughs> um, Noah Picton playing again for Regina. He's, I think he's now, he's got some U Sports slash CIS all-time record. I'm not sure if it's for passing yards or touchdowns. Incredible player. You have to watch him. He is most of their offense. They did run the ball effectively on the day with Kyle Boris at 16 attempts, 129 yards, and a touchdown. But Noah had 293 through the air. He was 20 of 30, two touchdowns, one pick. Didn't watch this game, so I'm just telling you what the stat sheet tells me. And I mean, it's kind of interesting. Canada West is an interesting conference. Uh, Manitoba passed the ball pretty effectively with Des Catelier. He had uh, 334 yards passing, three touchdowns, one pick. He was 22 of 35 passing. Jamel Lyles had 95 yards on the ground on 16 carries, no touchdowns. Jamel Lyles being sort of a running back you have to watch for all Canadian awards. Statistically, obviously not much of a game for him or nothing, you know, nothing to write home about, but he is a, a very special player. We saw that at East-West this year, and, uh, you know, Kyle Borsa also had a nice game running the ball. So, you know, very solid Canada-West matchup here. As always, every game is close in Canada West, pretty much. So, there is your Canada West match or Canada West roundup. And to give a quick uh, run through the other two leagues uh, in U Sports, uh, RSEQ, you had Montreal taking out Sherbrooke, forty-three to two. Yeah, it's pretty nasty, but probably about what people expected with that matchup. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, uh, Laval taking out Concordia, fifty-three to two. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Both teams only given just up a couple the, of rouges or sorry, a couple of uh, safeties each, huh? or the double rouge. Who knows? The double rouge. Yeah. Um, and then taking a look out east in the AUS, you had St. Mary's taking out St. FX twenty-seven to twenty-four. St. Mary's preserving that perfect season. Yeah, I believe so. And then Mount Allison taking out Bishops eighteen to ten. Uh, so once again, Bishops' move into the AUS not proving to be any more fruitful than their previous, uh, you know, home in the RICQ was for them. No, that's tough. No. So St. Mary's is now perfect to throw just some throwaway shade. We'll see if they can continue that yeah, hopefully through they- the rest of the playoffs and into the national semifinals. Yeah, uh, and hopefully they can score more than a safety against either Montreal or. Laval, whomever it is that uh, gets the honor of beating them on their way to the Vanier. I know they have a lot of talent. Like so, when we when we when you throw shade at uh, the AUS, it's not about their top tier talent because they have that. It's just depth of talent. Mm, yeah. Like you're gonna you're gonna get some really good players, but just it's not everywhere. So and then it made even more so when you contrast it to teams like Laval or Montreal in this league as well. Every player is great for them. Yeah, um, pretty much. So that's our wrap uh, for you sports. Um, I guess now we should uh, finish off with our uh, preview of the week to come. Uh, yeah, we'll do a really quick preview. I yeah. mean, we sort of touched on it in the uh, in the, the the wrap up of games, and you know, we don't need to uh, no to wax poetic. These games start tomorrow and are also on Friday for the Thanksgiving break. They're letting these kids off early. That's great. Yeah, always getting three teams in Guelph, York, and Waterloo, all with the buys. But kicking off tomorrow. Uh, Thursday, that is. Ottawa visiting Toronto um, here at Varsity Stadium. Ottawa just going to keep rolling, I'd say. I mean, it was nice. There's plenty of things that we're enjoying seeing from Toronto, and hopefully we'll keep seeing those. Um, yeah, well, and specifically, I mean, on offense, it's it's Diodati and Corby running downfield, and, you know, Ennis or Sakira getting them the ball. 
hopefully, um, you know, we can see something interesting there because the matchup is interesting, right? I mean, you have you have a very nice defensive back group for Ottawa, and you have these two receivers primarily for Toronto who can get open and who are doing good stuff. So yeah. that's something to watch. And hopefully they can piece together something of a run game or at least something to give us some hope, maybe someone who has a, has and a day there. as we've said before, U of T's defense is no joke. Like, they can do some really cool stuff, and they will do some very challenging stuff scheme-wise. So absolutely it'll be worth watching uh, if they can slow down the Ottawa offense, give Sawyer Buehner something to – uh, slow him down. Question his reads. You know if they can if they can slow down Dawson O'Day in that run game. You know this isn't the best offensive line for Ottawa. Like it's not a shot. They're just they're not one of the elite offensive lines. So U of T has a chance to be able to slow down that run game. But they looked porous against Windsor. So who knows? I mean, if you can run the ball against U of T, you're gonna have a nice day. Yeah, and, and so there's definitely some interesting things to see. And if you are planning to attend this game, you're very likely going to see me and Eddie there as, you know, whenever there's a nice game coming to town that we can go to, it's always great to see some nice OUA football uh, live and in the flesh. Um, next game happening on the Thursday, as we mentioned, Windsor traveling to London um, to take on the big purple machine that is the Western Mustangs. Uh, like we said, uh, almost an assure, assured win for Western, but yeah. there's some things Windsor does offensively, schematically, and of course having their run game now kind of picking up a bit and Girard getting back into the swing of things uh, after being injured that, you know, won't necessarily make the game from a score standpoint interesting, but just in terms of things that we can learn about both teams going forward. Yeah, I mean, if they can find a way to get Western into the defensive formations that they like, which Windsor seems to be able to do with a lot of teams, then, you know, maybe there's a chance they can, they can do some stuff offensively. So it'll be interesting to see how they attack them. And, you know, if Western just if they look like they bounce back mentally, right? Like they have to bounce back mentally from this game because this was a game that they, uh, when I say this game, I mean the, the, the game this week, Western Queens, this yeah. recent game against Queens, they have to bounce back mentally in terms of just intensity, in terms of being up for a game, in terms of, oh, you think you're going to win? Well, go win by a ton of points. Like mm-hmm. go play your best football game. Don't win because you can eke out a win. Win yeah. because – you're doing everything right. Don't Execute. win because the other team's bad. Win because you're that good. Exactly. Yeah. So I need to see that from Western because if they can't bring that consistently, that'll you know that means they're just there are trap games down the road. And I guess when you get to the playoffs, there are no trap games. But but how you go into the playoffs is huge, though, of course. That's true. That's true. Holding that momentum into the playoffs uh, is is a big deal. So we'll uh, we'll be excited to see how that shakes out. I you know expected it'll be a pretty massive spread in Western's favor. Yeah, but I also thought that would be the case for the Queens game. So, Very what true. do I know? <laughs> um, moving along to uh, Friday, we have the 11 a.m. start in Hamilton. The Queens Gales taking on McMaster. McMaster coming off their bye. Uh, see how they can improve off of that big game against Laurier, and how Queens can uh, grow off of that big win in Guelph for their homecoming, and then a tight game at home versus Western, and of course, massive playoff implications on the line for this one yeah queens has a lot of momentum going into this game and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that mcmaster is facing a little bit of controversy uh, adversity right now ah. with the uh, suspension of their head coach greg knox for a game uh, i don't know really anything about this this broke last night um you know we'll just let it play out won't make a mountain out of a molehill or 
anything out of anything here. We'll just we'll just wait and see. But a little bit of adversity for McMaster and momentum at Queens's back. So yeah. uh, it'll be an interesting game to see. Just you know, it should be a pretty pitched emotional game, and I hope it is because that makes for good entertaining football. And uh, I think. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how it's working with McMaster. If I think Tom Flaxman is the interim head coach, uh, or if it's uh, Scott Brady, I think it's Flaxman. So if I'm not mistaken, Brady is a defensive guy in the booth. So mm. we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, unimportant. What's important is two teams fighting for a playoff spot in McMaster at 11 a.m. on Friday morning. Should be a lot of fun. You know, it's funny. I've never played a game at 11 a.m. that I can remember. No, I played I a hockey yeah. game then, but not a football game, and I was like nine when I did. So it'll be interesting to see if if this affects kind of the way people are looking early. Yeah, you know, if if teams have tried to practice earlier in the day to kind of prepare oh, for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be interesting to see. Just a thought. I mean, who knows? It's, so. it's, it's definitely weird get, trying to get that mojo going on a Friday at eleven a.m. Uh, def- and with of course with the long weekend looming and Thanksgiving and everyone going away to spend time with their family, maybe see a little malaise uh, creep into this one perhaps. Um, but we'll see. It should be uh, on paper. It should be a very interesting game. Uh, and of course, our final game of the week, uh, one o'clock game in Ottawa, the Laurier Golden Hawks taking on the Ravens, both coming off tough losses. Um, and a really a must win for Laurier at this point. Yeah, Carlton's not in a must win situation yet, but I mean, they certainly don't want to lose. No. I mean, they, they would set up, you know, a tougher playoff road for them to lose, and then obviously Laurier absolutely does have yeah. to win this. I think for Carlton, you know, don't approach it as a must win, but approach those things that you did bad in the Ottawa game, and say that you must improve in that. You must improve. In terms of turnovers, you must improve in terms of penalties. Though, like whether you win the game, that's sort of secondary to if you improved in those categories, because those are things that, regardless of who you're playing, if those keep up, that's going to kill you. Yeah, and so. you know these are two teams that use um, uh, a system that that I don't particularly love, where they they have field and boundary offensive linemen. So that'll be something kind of a little bit of an idiosyncrasy of the conference. Um, where you'll have a matchup of two teams doing that, you pretty right. much you pretty much never see that anywhere else. So uh, something kind of interesting to watch if you're interested in scheme at all. And uh, they both, you know, they both do a decent job of it. Like it's not as though they're it's it's a little antiquated in my opinion, but you know who am I? <laughs> um, but they do a decent job of it. So it's something to watch. And if that's something that interests you, give it a look. And can this Laurier defensive front? step up as they have uh, last game if they're fully healthy with all their guys. Uh, Robbie Smith, you know, Alfred Green, Trayvon James, Samuel Achimpong, uh, the sort of the, the big four from last game, and, you know, four of their sort of typical, their starting four. So if they can do a nice job, you know, they can, they can really uh, contain Aruda and slow down this passing attack that is obviously uh, very good. And try their best to slow down that run game starring Nathan Carter because uh, he has also been very good. Um, of course, some of the injuries to Carlton's offensive line make it that much more interesting to see how it develops. Um, but it should be a great game and some, like I said, some big implications, particularly for Laurier in this one. Uh, so that is your Week 7 preview in the OUA. We gave you the wrap on Week 6 in the OUA. We gave you the little Can West breakdown, the look around the RSEQ and the AUS. Uh, so that does it for us here. Any last notes for the people, Eddie? 
No, I think well, we're going to try to get our next episode up maybe uh, a little earlier next week because obviously it'll be a long week yeah. uh, with the Thanksgiving break. So look for that uh, to be up a little earlier. And if you're not following us on the you know various social media apps, you should because obviously we're great. Obviously. <laughs> but no, but so we can... <laughs> We can give you an update if it's up earlier, or just one of us will be frantically texting people exactly. to tell them it's up. So, yeah, uh, give it a listen, uh, or give it a listen when it does come up. Hopefully, maybe Monday next week. Hopefully. Yeah, let's see. We can probably strive for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, I'm gonna frantically uh, as soon as we uh, press the stop button on the on the recorder here to get this one up because obviously we got games coming tomorrow. So you want to get all the info. Uh, you want to get the info you need going into this week in the OUA. Um, so that does it for us. Um, Enjoy the games this week. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving. Hopefully you're spending with friends and family, eating a ton of good food, um, whether it's turkey or otherwise. Um, I prefer alone eating mayonnaise <laughs> in a jar. <laughs> uh, that's a real Thanksgiving there. But either way, whether it's Monday, Tuesday, sometime early next week, we will see you at the 55.